tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you anything to make a call. Ali is looking after the programme this morning. Um, coming up on the show is Dr Tony Holohan rewriting history with his brand new book. The prospect of an all-out Drew flu will be speaking to the representative of the GRA in Tipperary. Could an end finally be in sight to the neglect of marketplace in Clonmel? Calls for immediate road safety measures in Menard. We have a taste of this week's Down Your Way and uh, Eamon uh, was recording at the Ploughing Championships last week so we'll bring you a little portion of that. Uh, the 20th year of the Drummondier Literary Festival uh, the shortlist for the Tipperary Chamber Awards. Muriel Cuddy will talk to us about health and of course we'll talk farming as well. It being Thursday. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 83 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Of course, we're always delighted uh, to hear from you. We're just hearing, by the way, that there's a crash on the Feathered, uh, feathered Road at uh, the roundabout in Douala. And uh, the road is uh, totally blocked, so uh, people should um, take great care indeed if you're uh, making your way in that direction. We'll give you more information on that as it comes to us. A look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today, the Irish Times, and um, it seems that Sinn Féin has extended its lead over its rivals and remains on course to be comfortably the largest party in the, the next Doyle, and that's according to the latest Irish Times Ipsos uh, opinion poll with uh, 18 months uh, at most to go before the next general election. Sinn Féin now leads Fianna Fáil by 14 points and Fianna Gael by 16 after today's poll shows the party recovering from a fall-off in support seen uh, during the first half of the year. But what is very interesting is um, the Sock Dems, the Social Democrats, um, losing three points and back down to 2%. So the Holly bounce seems to have reversed itself in some way. Uh, right across the newspapers today, of course, coverage of um, the ship and the cocaine and uh, the great drama that surrounded all of that. And the Times telling us that the MV Matthew, the bulk cargo ship, used to smuggle the 2.2 tonnes of cocaine from a murderous cartel was to drop consignments at several locations along the Irish, UK and European coasts, authorities are believing at this point. And also the video sharing service TikTok dismantled a covert influence operation network dedicated to targeting users in Ireland with divisive content to intensify social conflict. The company has disclosed. I must read more into that. Uh, the Irish Daily Mail and their banner headline is Threat of Drew Flu Strike by the Gardaí Revolt by Gardaí against Commissioner Drew Harris is set to escalate with members threatening to strike over his plan to revert to the old work uh, roster and we'll be chatting about that a little later on in the programme. Uh, the Irish Examiner and again 
uh, coverage of the drugs coming in on that uh, ship and they're taking a different angle on it because they're saying Colombia's biggest drug cartel and an Albanian-led European criminal consortium are the top suspects for the largest ever uh, cocaine seizure in Irish water and that's according to the uh, examiner today. Uh, Also, Children's Health Ireland have said it has no record of receiving a letter alleged to to have been sent to its chief executive about using non-medical grade services, uh, devices even, in spinal surgery. And that comes after the Doyle heard that letter um, that seemed to confirm that the CHI chief executive uh, was asked for advice on this in 2020. And that story trundles on. And finally, the Independent telling us that the Guardi believed that the Kinahan crime gang had a significant investment in the major cocaine shipment recovered from that cargo ship off the Cork coast. So that's a look at what's making headlines in some of your newspapers today. If you want to make comment on any of that, we'd be glad to hear from you. And once again, text WhatsApp 083 311 The former chief medical officer is doing the rounds promoting his book called We Need to Talk. And it was his appearance on the Late Late Show largely uh, last week that seems to have irked many. As part of that interview, Patrick Keelty asked him if he had any regrets when it comes to the cervical check scandal. Now, he sort of sidestepped the issue completely and focused on COVID and defended his decisions during COVID. He has never apologised for his role in the scandal. Keanu Carroll is a casual-based solicitor, of course, uh, who has represented many of the women affected by the cervical check misdiagnosis, represented uh, Vicky Phelan, who, of course, was the woman who brought the whole scandal to light. And I'm glad to say that Keanu Carroll joins me now. Keanu, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. And thank you so much for your time this morning, Kian. Um, you said in recent days that Vicky Phelan would have described this book as self-serving revisionism. Why so, Kian? Um, the chapters in the book that deal with the cervical check scandal as it emerged as a consequence of Vicky's case, um, they just contain a uh, an impression. It, it paints a picture which is very different to that which Vicky and I would have uh, understood and learned as as things progressed. I mean, in the first place, he's effectively denying or rewriting what happened to Vicky Phelan and to all the other women. He portrays the cervical check scandal as being entirely about a non-disclosure of details of an audit that took place after people had been diagnosed with cancer. Yes. Now he says that it had become clear that what was alleged was the information relating to a post-cancer diagnosis retrospective audit that was to have been passed back to her being Vicky had not been. That's not what her case was about, and it's not what anybody else's case or the scandal was about. It was about people having defectively and grossly negligently misread smears, um, as a result of which there was a significant delay in the diagnosis and the treatment of their cancer, which caused more than 30 women to date to lose their lives. And hundreds of others to be seriously injured. And in each of those cases that have been brought so far before the courts in Ireland, including a challenge brought all the way to the Supreme Court by the HSE, the decision uh, was partly taken by Tony O'Brien and and others, obviously. Um, 
the the courts have found that there was negligence in each of those cases and negligence was deemed to be an error which should not have occurred, not something which was within the ordinary uh, margins of screening. So so that's the first major issue that I would take with um, with his, his account. And then secondly, he goes on to suggest that the Department of Health and he knew nothing about this until the day after or the day of the case being settled when Vicky spoke out to the media from the steps of the High Court. Mm. And that's simply not true because a memo was crafted for the Minister by the Department of Health and he was the senior clinical person in the Department of Health uh, 10 days before her case. And in that memo, the Minister was informed that Vicky Phelan had been through a mediation process and that, critically, she had refused to sign a non-disclosure agreement. And on the basis of that, it was now likely that this case was going to get out into the public. And they needed a media strategy. And it suggested speaking points and even a statement for the minister in the event that this case went public. So they knew very well not only what was happening, they knew very well that Vicky Phelan had refused to sign a non-disclosure agreement, and they knew very well that when this got out, there was going to be trouble. He was very concerned as well about Simon Harris, as he saw it moving too fast in terms of bringing this to uh, public notice. What what did you make of his disclosures around that, Kian? Um Well, he was he was obviously saying that he was right and Simon Harris was wrong, that he pleaded with Simon and he did his best to tell him, no, 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 this is not the way to go. Simon Harris seemed to get it in the early stages mm. and understood the, the importance of what was happening here because it was clear that something seriously wrong had happened, at least in this case, relating to um, the screening process, not the audit. Mm. Um, I think... Ultimately, um, uh, there, there, there probably would have been no difference in the outcome had uh, 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 Tony's approach been adopted. Um, it, it, it does seem a little bit suspicious that what he was proposing was, no, 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 don't have an independent investigation. I'll have a look at it and see what's going on here. Um, and obviously that was subsequently interpreted as being an attempt by him to control the information, to control the, the flow of information. So he's defending that. In yes, and, and his defence... And he, I beg your pardon, Keith. His defence seems to be centred around what he describes as his concern from the outset was that disclosure would have an undue negative impact on the healthcare system. Yes. And there's a balance to be achieved here, but clearly this kind of paternalistic view that it's best that everything is kept under wraps so that we don't have people having a concern about the health service or a concern about screening and undermining their confidence in it. That's all well and good, except that if you're then closing your eyes to the problems, not addressing them, uh, not giving people true, truthful and complete communication about their own health care, all of those things are the uh, are the reason that we have found ourselves with scandal after scandal after scandal in the Irish health service, particularly uh, relating to reproductive health. Uh, and so uh, it has to be the wrong way to go. The, the, the only uh, truthful and honest way to deal with these things is the way Vicky Phelan dealt with it. 
and that was to get out there in public, tell people what's going on and allow the matter to be investigated independently by ultimately, as happened here, it wasn't investigated by Tony Holan. It was investigated by Dr. Gabriel Scali, the independent uh, UK-based public health expert. And it was Gabriel Scali who ultimately said in one of the key paragraphs in his most recent, in his final report from, from last year, and if I may just, just read one paragraph mm-hmm. to you, because I think it's the ultimate answer to what Tony Holohan is saying in his book. Um, Dr. Scali said, this is in the government's own report into cervical check conducted by him. He says, what was revealed in the aftermath of Vicky Phelan's court case was that Ireland had a cervical screening program that was deeply flawed. To touch only on three points, the cervical cytology slides of Irish women had been sent to far distant laboratories abroad that were entirely unknown to cervical check. There was a quality assurance system within the health service executive that was not fit for purpose. And some some doctors working for cervical check communicated to women and families the findings of an ill-designed audit in ways that were at times obstructive and callous. It is, in my view, entirely reprehensible to claim that in the past cervical check was as good as any other cervical screening program in the world. If you can't bring yourself to acknowledge past findings, why would anyone trust you today? Um, that's, and a, that's a huge paragraph, isn't it? It really is damning, isn't it? It's damning. Yeah. Um, and and what Dr. Scully did at all times was to acknowledge the physical and health harm to so many women from these failings in cervical check. Whereas from about August, if you take it that Vicky's case came to public attention in April of 2018, and it was, um, I suppose it was like a, a snowball rolling down a hill in terms of the, the state trying to deal with this scandal as it grew and grew. But in August, certain things changed and a media strategy was formulated. Um, by the government through the Department of Health with the HSE and cervical check and the wider screening um, uh, community in Ireland. And this very concerted uh, uh, approach was taken where all they would acknowledge was a failure to communicate the results of an audit. And there was never again an acknowledgement that there were actual mistakes made in a laboratory with microscopes, people not doing their job right. And this book is a perpetuation of that, in my view. It's interesting as well that in one of the chapters, I just uh, can hardly read my own writing here, but um, in one of the chapters I was reading last night, um, he he has a go at the press. He describes the press in general as being hostile. He said no longer impartial, no longer analytical. He said there was very few voices of reason. And then he says this was in stark contrast to the measured response of the Swedish media in their case. Mm. What, What did you make of that? Um, I, th- <clears throat> I think he sees himself as the victim in all this, um, and and he and he and his colleagues, and and I appreciate that you know say one one of his colleagues, Gwanya Flannelly, you know lost her job as a result yes. of this, or lost a job at least. Um, but, but that's not what's what's relevant here. Um, to say that people had lost reason, they weren't being honest at the time. They weren't coming out and explaining what was really going on. Um, the, the other thing about Sweden is, is, is somewhat interesting because one of the leading figures in the, in, in the Swedish program is one of the experts that we've worked with in many of our cases based in the, the famous Karolinska Institute and 
Um, and what he points out is that when you have a problem with a screener, with a with a, a technician in a laboratory, and you find out retrospectively that uh, significant errors have been have been made, that that obvious positive uh, precancerous findings on a slide have been missed, you must investigate that screener. And that they did that in Sweden, as they do in the north of Ireland, as they do in the rest of the UK, um, whenever this happens. And it does happen. And that was the huge difference with Ireland. And it still hasn't happened. In that, as far as I know, not a single case has actually been individually investigated. And Dr. Scally was never given access to a single woman's medical record, nor did they look back on any of the individual errors. They were only allowed to look at it on a statistical level to see, you know, overall, are we roughly where other countries are in terms of percentages? But, I mean, that's a bit like saying there's a, there's a plane crash in Dublin Airport, but we don't need to investigate it because actually Ireland's number of aviation-related deaths are roughly the same as they are around the world. You don't need to investigate the actual disaster when it happens. And, and that's completely flawed, whereas in Sweden and in other countries who use the same type of liquid-based cytology, that is what happens. There's another statement as well that took me aback just a little. He said the scale of the cervical check controversy unfortunately led to a delay in the introduction of the HPV screening. Mm. Um, I, I'm just surprised that he wasn't taken to task on that, for example, as well. <clears throat> um, well, I have no doubt that it threw everything um, up in the air within cervical check and within the National Cancer Programme. I mean, they had a major scandal to deal with. There were a lot of other consequences for healthcare which were uh, negative as a result of all of this. And clearly, it did damage people's confidence. Secondly, it, it led to what I think was the flawed, flawed decision of Simon Harris to announce in 2018 this uh, repeat smear uh, that would be available uh, to women in order to give them confidence that, that the result they would have received within the last couple of years was uh, to be believed and that led to a huge backlog in the laboratories and a delay, and to my knowledge, uh, a delay that, that, that led to several women having cancers developing rather critically within that period of delay that wouldn't have otherwise happened. So there, there have been all sorts of, of uh, consequences, but those consequences, you, know, you, you, you cannot say you know, if there hadn't been a scandal, things would be great. The point is, why was there a scandal? There was a scandal because this system of screening, this, this program was set up in a way that as Dr. Gabriel Scali, to quote him again said, was doomed to fail and when asked, you know what was the quality assurance program overall in cervical check while he was speaking in the Oireachtas, he said it was non-existent so, so those are the reasons why all of this happened and uh, whether that is the fault of the chief medical officer or the fault of the Minister for Health, or the fault of uh, programme directors within the HSE and with cervical check, or all of them. Um, that has also never been investigated. Because if you remember at the very beginning of this scandal, the Doyle voted to have a public inquiry into all of these issues. And that public inquiry would have included an investigation into the people who set up uh, cervical check, how it was done and what the failures were there. And that public inquiry never happened because the inquiry uh, was sidelined 
into Dr. Scali's review, which, as I've already said, was extremely limited in that it didn't even look at patient records. So there has been a careful management of uh, this scandal throughout. I'm almost taking my hat off to the state. I mean, when you're closely involved in something like this, like I have been over the last five years, it, it gives you a different insight. And it is extraordinary to see how effective the state can be at controlling things, at, 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 at shepherding information and making sure that the message mm. is tailored in a particular way. And I know that sounds a little bit like kind of crazy conspiracy theorist talk, but, but in, all, in all seriousness, from my point of view, I have been um, shocked at, at how effectively uh, things can be controlled. Um, yeah. and, and and towards the end of the two chapters that, that he dedicates to this, he kind of makes a bit of a summation and he says it shows how easily misunderstandings and false beliefs can be established among mm. the public and that once established, they seem to persist even when the facts show them to be uh, false. I, I, I presume your concern is that somebody who would have a sketchy view on what happened with cervical check may read this book and draw certain conclusions from it that you think um, wouldn't be correct, I suppose. Yes, but it, it goes beyond this book as well. Um, there is still a, there's, there's a regular flow of articles in national newspapers from senior people involved in the screening programme. Um, every few months, there is another article which, again, refers back to this and basically says that the law was wrong the High Court got it wrong, the Supreme Court got it wrong, nobody understands the limitations of screening, and basically uh, none of these cases were actually cases of negligence. And uh, and basically people shouldn't have brought cases at all. Um, that the screening programme has operated perfectly at all times. So there's a complete denial that anything wrong was done. And the worrying thing about all that, yes, you're right, it is a concern that people, <clears throat> when they come to inform themselves at some later stage, will think, oh, actually, was, what's all that about? So poor old, poor old Tony was terribly wronged or, or, or whoever. That <clears throat> lessons won't be learned. That uh, if the programme is defiant and is saying, no, actually, we were right, and, and if anything, we were the ones who were terribly wronged by the publicity around this scandal, well, then, how does that give us confidence that healthcare is improving? And I think that's reflected in the fact that over these last five, nearly five and a half years now since Vicky's case, there have been no doctors coming out publicly to say there is something to be learned from this scandal. Uh, we can do better. We, 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 we can improve, with the exception of Dr. Gabriel Scali. What a disservice to the women involved. Uh, uh, Kian O'Carroll, thank you so much for your time today, Kian. Thank you and uh, good morning to you. That's uh, Kian O'Carroll there, casual-based uh, solicitor, of course, uh, who has represented many of the women affected by the cervical check misdiagnosis and uh, represented Vicky Phelan, of course, who was the the woman who brought the whole scandal to light. I'm not sure if you got a chance to read the Tony Hullahan book. If you did, you might like to give me a, a review of it. You might like to indicate how you felt about it. Um, 1800 938 007.
Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie now, one of our listeners says Keanu Carroll uh, should be on primetime or the Tonight Show uh, to talk about those issues that he spoke about on the show. Well, Keanu is no stranger to national TV and uh, radio, but it's always interesting to hear his views on uh, whatever topic, indeed, that he's talking to us about. Um, a listener says, good morning. Could you play a request this morning for Seamus Ford of Boher B, Silvermines, uh, because Seamus is celebrating a very special birthday today, a nice roundy number as well, 80 years young today, and uh, wishing him a lovely, lovely day and best wishes from all of his family. Seamus, I hope you have a lovely day and that they spoil you. Uh, rotten, that's for sure. Uh, Joan was on to me from Tumivara and she says, could you announce that there's a hospice tea evening in Tumivara Hall this evening from 6 to 8.30pm. So that's this evening, a lovely Tumivara Hall there for hospice. 1800 Now the delegates of the Garda Representative Association have voted for strike action on the 10th of November and they've warned that other members of the force may follow. The decision has taken, uh, was taken indeed as a special delegate conference in Kilkenny and comes two weeks after 99% of GRA members voted no confidence in the Garda Commissioner Drew Harris. Now they also voted not to work overtime on Budget Day, the 10th of October and Halloween night Uh, the 31st of October, and they will do the same on the 3rd, 17th and 24th of October. They're Tuesdays, by the way. Uh, Gardy met with the Commissioner, as you know, at this point on Tuesday, in an effort to resolve the dispute, which they described as a complete waste of time. The Tipperary GRA rep is Richard Kennedy, and he joins me now. Good morning to you, Richie. How are you? Wonderful. And uh, good to talk to you today. Can you just give us some clarity on why the decision... Uh, or this decision was made by the GRA? I suppose uh, this is uh, stemming from our historic vote a couple of weeks ago where, where we had an unprecedented uh, turnout for a vote, bothered with a 90, close on to 99% uh, vote in all confidence in the Garda Commissioner. We then had a series of meetings and we at that time then we scheduled a special delegate conference which... I suppose for listeners, a special conference has, is, is comprised of a, a representative from every Garda district in the country. So the five there from Tipperary would have been in attendance yesterday. So, And then from the floor of conference, they come up with plans and, and, and scenarios and, and ideas for what way we could try and protest and, and try and move move our situation forward. And, that, and that's what happened yesterday. Um, you're saying, well, when I say you, the GRA is saying that you've been forced into the actions that are probably coming up. It's not ideal, though, Richie, to insist on preconditions going into any negotiation. And you completely wanted the deadline taken off the table. And I think that that might have triggered the walkout in some way from the meeting. Fran, the state of 6th November, for us, to, I suppose, like any negotiations, they take, they take a number of weeks. So you're talking 
Clunt have you'd want to allow four to five weeks for proper negotiations to find it. It's a very a roster is a very complicated issue. And and that's a t- and along with us, uh, the long list of other issues we have that 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 are accompanying the roster issue. But the roster was the was the sticking point in the last few days. And then for us to be able to ballot our members, get the votes back, and 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 complete that process could not be done. It's actually impossible to get done by the sixth November. All we asked was for the sixth November to be moved back to allow us time to to mm. properly have the talks and to ballot our membership. It was a simple request. We we had a meeting with the Commissioner last week and during the course of the weekend members of our officer board had discussions uh, in the background with, with senior members of Garda management. Uh, we thought there was a basis, a platform for us to move forward. We had a special meeting of our Central Executive Committee on, on, on Monday and we were given the impression at that meeting that look, lads, there could be a, a positive development. And the lads then met with the commissioner on uh, Tuesday, in which the whole thing, the whole rug was pulled under from underneath everyone. And we were told 6 November was going ahead. And totally out of the blue, we thought it was all going to be sorted. We thought our special conference would have been, I suppose it would have been nearly a, a damn squib in reality if, if, we, if this was going to happen. And it took everyone by surprise. And the commissioner has left us in a position where there's, it's at a real impasse and there's, there seems to be no way to move it forward. What about giving us some clarity on what we can expect then in terms of the action that the GRA is going to take, Richie? Uh, uh, the delegates have suggested that we would not be volunteering for any overtime. We listed the dates there. We listed includes the budget day and, and, and Halloween. And delegates then will be on the on the commencement date, which is the 6th November, in which the Commissioner w- wishes to move everyone back to the to the old roster, we will be remaining, delegates will be remaining on the current roster we're working. And then on the 10th of November, we will be withdrawing our labour. It's a decision for every individual member of the GRA for themselves, what they'll be doing. I, I, would, I would imagine it'll be fairly widespread across the, across the force that, that that action will be taken right, right across the country. And in, in terms of remaining on the uh, pandemic rota, if we can call it that, um, how will you manage to, to do that if it's at odds with the general policy? I mean, how will that work with your local inspector or sergeant, for example? We'll be still there, friend. We'll be still providing the service to the public. Our members will be turning up. We'll still, the public will actually have more, more members turning up because instead of a group being divided in four, uh, divided into five, will be divided, divided into four. We'll be turning up every day, and that's it's up to up to the up to local management and across the, across the country to figure out what way they're going mm-hmm. to work it. I, I'm hearing from from uh, from delegates yesterday that their sergeants have indicated to them that they'll be stay they'll be stay stay working the four and four with them. So it'll be interesting to see will there be, will will that approach be taken taken in other in other areas, but. We'll be we'll be turning up on four and four and those uh, from that day. Anyway. Right. So you're indicating that the sergeants will work along with the guardie then in there's, terms of not adhering I, I, to I, the. I, no, friend, this is this is verbally from the, yeah. the individual sergeants that say this is not an AGSI policy. Their policy is that they'll be returning to the six and four. But individual sergeants who who this affects as well, it affects it affects everyone right across the board. Friend, people who work shift, it doesn't affect people who are sitting behind desks. It affects the people who are, who are on the ground working the shifts, this change. So our yeah. GRA, GRA delegates will be staying on 4 and 4 and 
I'd expect I'd be expecting that you'll see our our, our general membership doing the exact same thing. One of the more serious aspects, I suppose, of this has to be around budget there, because of course we saw what happened last week in terms of protests getting out of hand and one thing and the other. If you pull over time from that, what will that mean on the ground, Richie, in terms of, say, policing Leinster House, for example? At this moment in time, because of the lack of recruitment, the job runs in overtime, and especially on occasions like Budget Day, like Halloween, like even your general could be something as simple as GA match. These things don't run without overtime because of the lack of, lack of resources. And it's something we've been we've been banging the drum about is the lack of rec- the, the the deficiencies in the recruitment, the deficiencies in the retention. Where you have members resigning and, and retiring in huge numbers, we've already gone past last year's figure for for resignations. And 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 these dates, I suppose we we picked we picked the, the dates were kind of selected by the by the, the division that put forward the motion yesterday from Mayo, and the the dates we picked were those dates. And look, the, I suppose budget and Halloween will. I suppose it'll focus the minds, friend. Especially, it'll take it'll take government pressure. It'll take political pressure, maybe to to get this moving. It might the minister and 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 the Taoiseach might decide to exert some pressure on on senior management to try and try and force this issue to to be resolved. Because that's what it's going to take, friend. Because the commissioner has dug his heels in. Even as, he, he's like we all know. It. The morale is on the floor. It's not even on the floor. There is no morale at this stage. And there's only one person in the entire force who thinks we don't have a morale problem, and that's the commissioner. Everyone else knows we have a major morale issue we've, and major issues right across the force. And because but things have been allowed to get to where we are, I suppose, with the commissioner and, you know, with the vote of no confidence as well, is it going to be virtually impossible, no matter what happens, to continue to work uh, with this commissioner, and essentially, I mean, are you calling for his head at this point, Richie? We're not. We're not. We're not calling for his head at this point. Look, our president suggested that the relationship is probably irreparable at this stage. Um, yeah. And he said, and, and he said it in the press conference yesterday, even at, the, at close to the conclusion of our conference, that we have even even less lesser confidence, if possible, in the commissioner at this stage. I said it myself yesterday when I addressed conference yesterday that those who there was 116 members who who voted confidence in the commissioner there's probably is probably even less now. Um, you, c- you can't have a situation where someone continually ignores your issues and and basically thinks it's his way or the highway. That doesn't work, friend. You can't have a situation where someone just attempts to bully 10,000 people into his way of thinking. That doesn't work. And you, can, you can't you can't run an organisation like that. Just to play devil's advocate on it for for a moment, Richie. I mean, the the whole core of of the force is one of discipline, I suppose, and one of accepting authority from from ranks above you. And that this sort of begins to to disentangle that and uh, to dilute all of that. Isn't that very serious for ongoing policing? And our members will continue to do their job. We 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 always have in time of times of crisis. It's here right across the last few years, and even when there has been issues within the force, we've always done our job. We've had issues with previous commissioners going back many mm. many years, yeah. and we've always done we've always done what we've had to do. We always put our shoulder to wheel in times of crisis, and and this is no different. And it's just it is a situation that we we've been driven to this point. You can't there's only like there's only so many times you can kick a dog before you bite you back. 
Yeah, well, and, the, and, and this is and this is where we are. Well, he, he's biting back again because seemingly he informed the justice minister Helen McEntee that he'll have plenty of staff for budget day. There won't be won't be an issue there. So that's a kind of another another bit of a needle. I, 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 suppose, what I suppose what to do is the drag sergeants from all over the sergeants and inspectors from all over the country, uh, probably guard students and and probation or guardy who 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 I suppose would would who's Jobs would be in 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 probably a bit more perilous if they became involved in industrial action because they'd be probation or guardy and their they, their their positions would be up for review. Um, it, it, and that's what probably it'll be. You'll probably, you'll probably, if, probably if you see the footage on, on budget day, you'll probably see lots of sergeant stripes and inspectors epaulets in 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 the police and others, and you probably won't see too many members of guard ranking. Can it be fixed, Richie? Can this be fixed? Do you think? We've we've always been adamant, friend, that we're open to negotiations, and 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 our our door has always been open during the whole roster process. There were sixty four meetings during the roster negotiations over the course of three years. We were the only grouping that turned up to every meeting, the GRA. Every single meeting the GRA turned up to, and tried to try to sort things out. We always have. We've always and, and our door is never closed. We're never. We're never going to. We, we'll never walk away from the table in this in, in these scenarios, Brendan. And we haven't, and we will be open to negotiations. Just be, just because we have no confidence, which doesn't mean we can't come to an agreement or come to some kind of compromise. You, you can whether you whether you agree with someone, it doesn't doesn't mean you can't come to come to a compromise and come up to come up with some sort of deal. And we're still we're still in a position. And where you were we can close to that, were you not? We, we, Until we the meeting with the commissioner, we believe we were our, 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 our general secretary. Uh, like every like every negotiation process, friend, you have you have your main meetings, but always in the background, you have people working on finer points and then maybe sticking points, trying to trying yeah. to resolve them before you before you sit back at the table. And that's what we've done over the course of the weekend between our general secretary and, and senior members of guard management. And mm. when he addressed us at our special meeting on Monday, he said, "As look, it could be a bit of good news. We think we have a base." And a platform to kickstart the negotiations and get this resolved as quickly as possible. And we we left we left Dublin uh, we left our, our office on Monday evening thinking great news we have, we we could have a solution. I told my own mem- my own committee and some of my own members of local lads there could be some there could be some good news tomorrow. We could have we could have a deal. And then we were told on Monday evening around five o'clock lads this is this is gone it's off the table. November sixth is happening. This is going full steam ahead. And we 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 were shocked from. We thought we actually we thought we were we were we were at the start of uh, of the start of the end of the process, but unfortunately we're not. And could you give a small bit of solace to some of our listeners who were on to say that they're very concerned? People living in rural Ireland, they're concerned at the best of times, I suppose, about crime and the like, and they look to you, Richie, and your members for to look after them. You know what? What would you say to them who have concerns this morning? I suppose, friend, the public are right to be concerned. The, 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 the policing situation in the country at the moment is not good. We have huge amount of issues. We, we have a list as long as your arm of issues that we have that with what's mm. going wrong and how, how how policing is done in this country and how how it's been taken away from from the communities, taken us off the streets, and now take, taking us into a situation where you have a roster where you're dividing dividing four four into five and 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 uh, dissolving the cover that's there already, and look, our members, if if members of the public, if they ring 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 
999 Arena Garda Station, they'll get a response from our membership. They always do. But the, your general patrols, your all your other smaller engagements, they're all been ebbed away and been deteriorated all the time from from current due to current policies and and current modernisation as they call it. Um, but we, we our members will always do their best for the for the members of the public and and that's where we are from. Like we we are involved in communities where. We live in the communities all over the country. We all have families, and we all want the best for policing in this country. The GRA always has. And and if we can progress this issue, great. We don't want, like I don't want to see members withdrawn overtime on, on on the various states. I don't want to see a situation where we have to go into conflict in relation to working on the roster. And I certainly don't want to see a withdrawal of labour on the 10th of November. We don't want that. The public don't want that. And hopefully. The commissioner can see sense. He can move that date. We can get back to the table, resolve the roster issue, and resolve and see, a, a, I suppose, a pathway to resolving the other the, the other issues in 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 short in the short term, and not and not been put on the long finger and been told about. We we get this this the whole time from from senior management. That's being reviewed. That's being reviewed. Everything is put on a review front, and these reviews seem to go on infinitely. Like the like the the, the roster that we were working previous to this. That was a that was a pilot for over seven years. We have an IMS system which is on pilot at the moment in only seven Garda divisions in the country, which is which is putting us behind computers for for three quarters of the day. That's on a pilot in seven Garda divisions in the country for three years. They're afraid to put it into the busy centres because it'll it'll just bring everything bring everything to a standstill. But it's okay for the people of Tipperary, friend. That's what they've done. They have us working a system in Tipperary that they won't put into other parts of the country because it won't work. That's what we've ended up with. And the and amalgamation with, with, with Clare, Richie, I mean, what what is the thinking among your members where, where that is concerned? Because, again, I'm just reflecting what's coming into me here. An awful lot of listeners very, very, very concerned about that, you know? Oh, sure, sure. Like, we have, like, I suppose, like, in the north of the county of Killaloo and Scarf are part now of the Nina district, yes. I'm sure. Yeah. When things are tight and members on, on members on the ground, you could have lads in Killaloo working on Ross Gray, you have lads in Nina in Killaloo. It's, it's like it's like moving pieces on a chessboard up there at the moment, friend. Um, we're looking at uh, as as moving the ASU unit, which is the armed support unit, out of Tipperary. Yeah, we had we had we had uh, some of it based in care. That's going mm-hmm. to be. Moved off to moved to moved to Corker. Members been moved to Corker Limerick. There, there was and, a denial it, it, about that at the Joint Policing Committee that that's happening. But, but are you telling I, me that well, is happening? I, 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 I don't think there was a denial. Fan. I, I, I think there was, the, 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 I think there was a, the chief said he wasn't aware of it. But you, it wouldn't be an issue for the chief in Tipperary because mm. that would be that would be a Dublin headquarters issue. They, they wouldn't really be under his control or controlled right. by by Garda headquarters. But right. you've you've. This kind of stuff, and I know, and I know, talking to the civilian staff, they're snowed under because of the amount of work that's been piled on on them because of this amalgamation. You, you can't bring bring something like that through when you don't have the the staff or the support staff to do it, and that's what they've done. They've they, they've put the cart before the horse instead of putting all the if you don't build the house without putting the foundations in first, and, and instead we've 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 put a put a house on, on a on a bed of sand as well. What their, what senior management have done in this case. And the pity about it is that most of the spotlight is on the the the, uh, the working conditions and the shifts and that. But you know, I mean, some of what you're talking to me about today is even more serious, if that's possible. You know. 
I suppose that it's the it's the it's the roster thing gets the headlines, Frank. Yes. I suppose that was the that's the straw that brought the camels back. It's and it's the kind of it's, it's the one that that is kind of regularly trotted out by by senior management and by the government that this is the issue. It's not, that's not the only we have we have been raising issues continuously through our conference through our reps for the last number of years, and it's just it's like it's like banging your head off a brick wall with some of the issues that. That that they, we've been questioning, question, question, all that, and, and we just get these these uh, stock stock answers. Oh, that's under review. That's with a task force. That's with a with a grouping to be dealing with. And and there's no, and there's, there's never seems to be resolved. And the, my members come back to me every year with the same issues. I I I'd regularly canvass 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 the membership. That's if any issues among. That's just I could I could cut and paste the text from other years. It's the exact same stuff every year. Richie, thank you so much for your time today and I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Thank you and uh, good morning to you. That's uh, Richie Kennedy there, Richard Kennedy who is the Tipperary uh, GRA rep. Uh, what do you make of that? 1800 938 007. The text and WhatsApp is only 33113311. Um, Fran, I was supposed to be getting a liver biopsy today but they have no bed for me. I've been waiting five weeks uh, to even get a date but today, no bed. Maybe I'm being negative about the health service, but uh, I don't know when it will be done now. I have cancer in three places, says one of our listeners. And I want to take you back because there's part of that comment says maybe I'm being negative. I want to take you back to last week or the week before when the tonish to accuse me of being negative about the health service. But anyway, B was on to say I will never forget or forgive what the state put these women uh, through in this country. This is referring to my conversation with uh, Solicitor Keanu you know, Carroll about cervical check and about the Tony Houlihan, or Holohan uh, book. B goes on to say, I'm a survivor of the state and religious abuse. And it's so sad to say we never learn in this country. And yet when we have an issue or scandal, uh, politicians coming out saying that uh, uh, lessons have been learned. But unfortunately, it's far, far from the case. Mick says uh, Joe Harris is running away with himself, uh, forcing senior Gardaí to require and uh, bringing in PSNI officers uh, into various um, various positions, uh, says Mick. And uh, that's into us on 083 311 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Pecone, your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, Call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat. Uh, welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today, 1800 If you want to speak to Ali, and it won't cost you, of course, you can text WhatsApp 083 John O'Byrne was on to congratulate us on the interview with uh, Kian O'Carroll this morning. He says, uh, Kian is one of the very few who gave straight answers to all of your questions. Uh, an excellent uh, interview. And some of our politicians could take a leaf out of his book and tell it as it is. And that's making reference to the solicitor, Keanu O'Carroll, of course, uh, based in Cashel, who represented uh, Vicky Feeling, Feeling and uh, indeed uh, several other uh, women affected by the cervical check 
um, a scandal and he was uh, speaking to us today in light of the publication of the Tony Holohan, uh, a book and some issues he had indeed with um, some of the claims in that book. Another listener says the Defence Forces and the Gardaí need a big overhaul. It is too much red tape, it says, from uh, the government. And uh, somebody else saying, Fran, I don't believe it was not the fault of uh, ordinary, ordinary guards and sergeants, but the actions are lack of by not one but two former commissioners. And that is how the Irish state inherited Drew Harris and Charlie Flanagan was very vocal uh, on it being Drew Harris at the time. Yes, says one of our listeners as well. He certainly was the Minister for Justice at uh, the time. And, uh, you know, when it was announced that um, Drew Harris was going to be the commissioner, he said that it's an important day in the history of the Gardaí and that the organisation has every reason to look to the future with optimism. And that was back in 2018. So that's uh, interesting to keep that in mind in light of where we are now, I suppose. There could be a final solution where the marketplace in Clonmel is concerned. The once bustling business district in Clonmel is now a shadow of its former self, as you know. And it's a a hotbed for antisocial behaviour. But it seems that a compulsory purchase order may finally be sought for the premises. Councillor Michael Murphy joins me in line now. Good morning to you, Michael. Uh, good morning, Fran. And uh, this is something you came up uh, with at a recent uh, Clanmel Borough um, uh, District meeting, uh, Michael. Um, any developments on this since? Yeah, so I suppose I don't think there's any need for me to contextualise um, the history of, of Marketplace, yeah. apart from saying that the former Super Quinn Super Value closed its doors in 2016 and many of the smaller units uh, vacant a number of years even prior to that uh, date. As you said yourself, a lot of dereliction uh, in Marketplace, uh, a lot of antisocial behaviour. You know, Marketplace is now attracting national uh, headlines, Mm. um, reflecting negatively uh, on Clonmel. Uh, My message at last week's meeting of the Clonmel Borough District was uh, enough is enough. Uh, I think it's now time to uh, serve uh, a CPO compulsory purchase order notice on the owners. Uh, we did establish that the last engagement between the owners of Marketplace uh, and the planning section of Tipperary County Council was prior to the summer break. Uh, there's been no contact uh, since then. Um, so for me, yeah, I think it's time to uh, focus minds. Uh, Tipperary County Council, as a statutory authority, has the powers to serve a compulsory purchase order uh, on uh, on the owners and I think as I said enough is enough and I think now is the time to do that. I think there is a bit of a movement forward because the Mayor of Clonmel Richard Malloy was on to us this morning Michael and he says that he and the District Administrator um, are due to meet representatives of Remcol, I think they're the company in question on Tuesday next to, to discuss. So maybe already even the mention of CPO might have pushed this forward a bit. Yeah that's why he said you know focus, uh, focus the minds um, I was quite um I have to say, surprised with the response uh, of the district manager uh, to my suggestion. Uh, she um, was quite clear, yes, uh, she agreed with me that enough was enough. And uh, Sinead Carr has certainly not uh, ruled it out. 
Um, and I think that's uh, positive in itself because, as you know, normally at council meetings, uh, when we as local authority members make suggestions, sometimes, more often than not, there's a bit of a pushback. Mm. Um, but there was no such pushback. Uh, and I think she was interviewed by her own uh, news team immediately yeah. after the meeting and was very forth- forthright herself that yeah, perhaps it's now time uh, for a CPO. So a CPO is a process, as you know, Fran, uh, it's a very timely process. Um, it doesn't take the length of time that people think uh, that it might. Uh, the local authority has to, first of all, identify what I would call a clear purpose uh, for the site and then be prepared to realise that same purpose within a reasonable uh, amount of time. I've always said, you know, marketplace, the former uh, super value, you know, I've talked about an element of residential perhaps some element of a retirement village Mm. and obviously combining that with um, a retail uh, element uh, as well. I always thought as well perhaps the idea of a cultural quarter, um, a theatre space, a gallery space is an interesting concept uh, as well. Um, But look, um, the owners of Marketplace have been sitting on the site now for for too long and as I said, you know, mm. I think now is the time to issue this compulsory purchase order notice. It's interesting, though. I mean, you're talking about identifying purp- a purpose, I suppose, or purposes for for the area. If a CPO is put into place and it's bought by the local authority, what would happen then? I mean, in terms of ideas for, I mean, do you, do you farm, do you resell it on? Do you... Do you manage it yourself from the local authority? How would that work, Michael? Well, I think in the context of the the residential uh, element, uh, Fran, I think, and, you know, we're already, you know, we've issued CPOs to a number of properties uh, in what I call the prime retail um, uh, area. There's been a CPO served on the owners of, I think it's four or five adjoining, adjoining properties uh, in uh, Martin Street. And I know Tipperary County Council intend to partner with what we call a voluntary housing uh, agency in terms of that element. Mm. I see no reason why we can't partner in terms of the different elements, whether it's retail or whether it's housing. In the context of housing, I see no reason why we can't partner with some of the voluntary housing bodies. There are significant resources available to the council when it comes to uh, housing, so I don't see resources being uh, an issue there. But absolutely, and that's the key in terms of CPO, you identify the clear purpose for the site beforehand um, and you put those plans uh, on on paper to become a public uh, document. And in the context of the CPO process then as well, you have to realise uh, that purpose within a reasonable amount of time, whether that's two years, three years, I'm not exactly sure. Mm. But yeah, I think there's no reason why we can't partner with for example, voluntary housing bodies and private developers as well. And is this the way forward for dereliction, do you think? Um, You know, it was really interesting to hear Sinead Carr saying, and obviously there's a lot happening that we as members are not aware of, but she mentioned the time frame of the next 18 months that you will see quite a number of uh, CPOs. So that tells me that they're already looking at other derelict sites. See, Marketplace, as you know, Fran, is a key strategic Mm, site, I would say, in terms of that site and the Clam Alarm site, they're the two key strategic sites uh, in uh, in our town. And as you know, there is positive progress in the context of the Clam Alarms site. But there are other sites, um, and one only needs to walk through uh, O'Connell Street um, in particular and see, I think, up until yesterday, 17 vacant sites out of approximately 60. Some of those sites are derelict as well. So that tells me, in terms of what the district manager has said, that the councillor are actively 
pursuing CPOs in context of some of those sites. But there was a public notice in um, local newspaper yesterday, as I said, the CPO of five adjoining properties uh, in Martin Street. So I think that's to be welcome. Interesting. Of course, I mean, those of us who can remember the initial issues around Marketplace um, and what springs to mind to me immediately, Michael, would be rates. I mean, that that that's was the cause of a lot of businesses deciding to put yeah, it so down the Yeah, so in Marketplace, obviously, there was a number of instruments available. And I think for the first 10 years, um, the owners of Marketplace, or sorry, certainly the, the, the tenants of Marketplace were rent-free. Rent but of course, when that 10-year incentive elapsed, they were hit with what we call extraordinary levels of rates. But that's been addressed. The current rates um, for Marketplace are quite, quite competitive. Some of the premises, their rates were reduced by maybe 50%, 70%, I think, in one case. Mm. But again, that still hasn't attracted uh, any new tenants, uh, unfortunately. I think the problem with Marketplace in terms of the smaller units is the lack of an anchor tenant. And when SuperValue uh, closed its doors in 2016, I think it's... It's a difficult one for someone to take on one of the smaller retail uh, units without that big uh, anchor tenant. And I know Musgraves, and I'm quite happy to go on record, didn't help the case by, you know, I knew there was a bit of an interest maybe from competitors of Musgraves uh, in that particular building. But unfortunately, uh, Musgraves weren't for selling, unfortunately. And you, you mentioned, and God knows we talk about enough here, the Clanmel Arms. Any further information that you can bring us on on that, Michael? Uh, my understanding is um, the legals, uh, and I know my colleague, Councillor John Fitzgerald, made an intervention at the meeting last week. I think the legals are now almost completed. Uh, interestingly enough, um, I think it's been announced that the costings for the demolition of the site have also been um, secured. So that tells me once the legals are complete, I think the owners of the new owners or the proposed owners of the Clam Alarm site will, propose, will proceed with, uh, with demolition. I think the the advantage of the is the planning is already secured for the site, uh, a very ambitious uh, planning for the site. That's still a live planning application. So the hope is that the new owners will move at pace with the redevelopment of the site. But the first stage will be the demolition of the site. But my understanding is that the legals are now almost complete. Is that another week or month? I'm not 100% sure, but I don't think we're talking any time frame beyond that. Can I ask you about uh, local elections uh, next year, Michael? Um, they're looming as we speak. Yes, yes, the most important local election of a generation, I think. Yeah, the 7th of June, I believe, is the date. Yeah, how, how are you feeling about that at this point? Well, look, I'm a candidate um, for uh, Fine Gael. I'm putting my name forward uh, for, uh, for the local elections. It will be a challenging election, particularly for the party that I represent. But I think people, when they look at my candidacy beyond the party and see my commitment uh, uh, you know, to Clonmel in terms of making our community a better place to live uh, and work. But yes, it's going to be a challenging, every local election is, but I think this particular uh, local election, particularly for the Clonmel Borough District, I think is one of the most important uh, local elections uh, of a generation. Uh, I look forward uh, to putting my name out there, to putting, um, to knocking on doors like I always do, mm-hmm. meeting people, and uh, obviously putting my um, the strengths of my uh, candidacy uh, to the people of Clonmel. Now, where the party is concerned, any concerns about the exodus of big names from the party? Uh, Charlie Flanagan being the the most recent uh, look, one, Michael. Is that concerning? It's, it's, it's a real, real concern. We have seven, uh, is it seven, I think, that mm. uh, have announced that they I will be not maybe one more, yes. Yeah. yeah, maybe one mm. more, and I think, uh, and maybe more again. Um, it, is, uh, it is a worry, but I think that's a reflection as well. Politics at the national level is very challenging, um, 
uh, at the moment. Um, but it is, it's a huge blow to the party. I don't think it would be going to describe otherwise. Of course, uh, we'll be passing the baton on to uh, other uh, new, 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 new candidates, but I do expect it to be a difficult election for Fianna Gael uh, at the national level, whenever that election will be towards the end of next year or into the spring of 2025. All right, Michael, always good to talk to you and thanks for your time this morning. Thank you, good morning to you. That's Councillor Michael Murphy of uh, Fianna Gael speaking to us there. 1800 938 007, 23 past 10 right now. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Pecan, you can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Well, the shortlist for the Tipperary Chamber Awards has been announced and I'm glad to be joined now online by the CEO of Tipperary Chamber, Michelle Aylward. Good morning to you, Michelle. Good morning, Fran. Uh, Great to talk to you and it's a very exciting time, needless to say. What about the general response uh, this time round, Michelle? Indeed, Fran, and I suppose um, it's been phenomenal. Every year it's growing, um, the numbers of entries, but not only that, but also the spread from the whole county has just been phenomenal. So a busy time for the judges. Well, that's that's for sure. Can you give us um, some of uh, the businesses involved in the various categories as well, Michelle? Indeed, indeed. And as I said, look, we, we've been inundated with the amount of entries, which is phenomenal. So uh, we've, we've, we've introduced a couple of new categories, I suppose, um, to the awards as well, which is kind of, I suppose, opening up to other businesses that didn't have the chance to enter them before. So, for example, this year we now have the Best Dining Experience Award, mm-hmm. uh, which is sponsored by Bryce HR. Um, and again, for example, some of the cat, some of the shortlists in that will be uh, you know, the likes of Bodega in Clamel, you have Prime 47 in Tipperary Town. And you also have the Bishop's Buttery in Cashel. Um, so again, that's an exciting one, whereas before we would have found that, you know, sometimes the, these dining experiences, restaurants and stuff, probably wouldn't have had the opportunity or category to fit into. So that's a great one that we're delighted to be able to be introducing as well this year. Very good indeed. So what else have we, Michelle? So again, I suppose we have a number of new different sponsors as well, friends. So I suppose... Predominantly over the last number of years, as you would have known, because you've been heavily involved in it and supporting our awards, we would have had them in Tipperary, or sorry, not in Tipperary, but in Clonmel, mm-hmm. down the south of the county. Um, and obviously, where our job is to cover the whole county, quite a big county that we do have. So this year, I suppose, the exciting news is that we're actually moving it to Nina, um, which will be take the business awards will take place in the Abbey Court Hotel. Obviously, we had some worries about that as well, you know, thinking that sometimes, you know, will the businesses move with us? Uh, will the entries come up? Will our sponsors come up? But I'm delighted to say they have, and not only have the sponsors come with us, but we've also gained a lot of new sponsors, like the likes of Fall to Ireland, who have come on board with us this year to sponsor. And they're going to be sponsoring the Tourism and Culture Award as well, which is, again, great for them, and again, a new award for us and the sponsor. And also, we also have our, our Presidential Award as well, which is a, a very popular one as well. Very good indeed. Now, just uh, before you, you give us some of the shortlists, uh, the judging, the adjudication of this, just to remind people, Michelle. 
Indeed. And look, again, friends of mine who run their own businesses in Tipperary were not shortlisted and, you know, very disappointed. But again, mm. it's, it's, a, it's an independent judges panel. Yeah. Um, we, we change the judges uh, most years, so we bring in different business people that are, that are involved within Tipperary. Um, I also brought in this year as a judge, which was a colleague of mine, a CEO from the Shannon Chamber, um, Helen Downs. To kind of oversee it as well so we would have broken them up into categories they would have went away for a few weeks and totally independent and even today i don't even know the winners myself so uh very independent judging panel and a tough job they have as well a very tough job indeed that's for sure will you give us some of the uh, short lists uh, then the employer of the year award of course is a big one isn't it it is, and it's always a big one, because I suppose nowadays as well, Sam, when, when people are looking to recruit and retain staff mm-hmm. as well, which is hugely important, and this is something that the businesses will be able to stand over to say that we've been nominated or we've won or we've been shortlisted uh, for the Employer of the Year, which is sponsored by our own very skillness. Uh, so we've got the lunch bag in Nina, we're shortlisted. We have Boston Scientific, which is obviously Clamel. We have FRS, which is in Ross Grey. Uh, Waystone in Cashel. And then from Clamel, we also have Scantec Engineering. So again, a very big award there for whoever's going to take that one on the day. But I think anyone that has been shortlisted as well, it's, it's a phenomenal achievement to be able to say that to, to your employees. Of course, of course. And, and to attract uh, employees down the line as well. The Small to Medium uh, Enterprise Award then. Indeed, yeah, which again, in fairness, has always been sponsored by and we're very thankful to the local enterprise office mm-hmm. here in Tipperary. Um, and again, this is a huge award as well, especially when we look at Tipperary and the amount of small businesses that we have. And we want to be able to maintain those. So again, we would have Mireens, um, which is in Turles, uh, Woodco uh, Renewable Energy. Uh, the lunch bag, again, has been shortlisted. Uh, SYS, which is in Nina, and again, a new member to the chamber, which is Electrical Ireland Superhomes, which is in Turles. So again, you can see the spread there as well, sure, coming yeah. in from yeah. around the county, so which is great. And you the, know. D- the different kinds of businesses as well is most interesting, isn't it? The Service Provider of the Year Award is always one that is sought after as well. It is indeed. And again, a brand new sponsor as well with us for this one this year. So last year, we had the overall winner on the night, which was Rhine's Cleaning. And Pat, I'm sure you know him quite well, um, decided this year to give back. And he's now going to sponsor this particular award. Um, So again, it was one of the largest categories that we've had this year as well. Um, And to be able to say that you're the, again, nominated for this, we have the Zipyard, which is in Nina. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unitech IT Solutions, which our head office is in Clonmel. We have Terrace Nua, which is Tipperary and they're nationwide. Uh, we have the SYS group and we have the lunch bag again. So again, some of the names keep cropping up there as well, Fran, don't they? <laughs> they, they sure do. Isn't they? Well, one of my favourite categories has to be the Community Award. And of course, that's very much there this year as well. It is, and that's a very important one. And Bulmers, in fairness, in Clamel always take this one because it's it's close to their heart. But again, looking at the different types of people that are involved within the community, we've got the Soccer Goals Academy, which is in Clamel. We've got uh, the Holy Cross. Uh, we have a Boston Scientific, and again, we also have the the Lions Trust. Again, very different as well from the multinationals right down to the small people that are involved and doing things within the community as well, which I think, you know, needs to be recognised also as well. You also recognise sustainability, of course, and uh, will you tell us about that shortlist? Indeed. So again, look, I mean, even just yesterday we were again promoting our sustainability initiatives and it's a hugely 
popular one for us. It's one that we need to be concentrating on. Um, but if you look around the county as well in terms of what businesses are actually doing. So this award itself is sponsored by the permanent PSB. So we've got the Electric Ireland Super Homes, which have been shortlisted, and they're based in Turles. We've got the Clock Jordan Community Farm, mm. an amazing place, actually, if you haven't sure. been there. Yeah. Um, Boston Scientific, again, doing tremendous work mm. in terms of leading, and I suppose, by example, what other people can do. We also have Board Namona Recycling, and we also have the Temple Chewy Wind Farm. So, again, a nice spread around the county in terms of those entries as well. But I'm sure this is one that will grow hopefully, over the next coming years in terms of our business awards. Most important category in Tipperary has to be tourism and culture, of course, Michelle. It does, it does. We mm. rely so heavily on it, and it's something that I think even as a Chamber fan, we're really trying to promote Tipperary in terms of what we have. Yeah. Um, sometimes we forget, as I say, how big the county is, but this award, as I said, we've brought on a new sponsor, which I'm delighted to have aboard with us, which is Falter Ireland. And again, our hotels then that have been shortlisted. So we have the Lakeside Hotel in Killaloo. Uh, we have the Cashel Palace, which you're all familiar with. We also have the Nina Arts. And we also have the South Tipperary Arts Centre as well that have been shortlisted. So again, a variety in there, which I'm delighted the judges have come back with. Very good. Will you tell, you, uh, tell us about the Retailer of the Year category as well? Indeed, yeah. So the Retailer of the Year, again, is a new category as well that we've brought in as well, Fran, because, again, it's very important, especially as we look at our towns and we look at our villages and the way people are shopping yeah. and things like that. It, and times are changing, so it's important that we get behind our retailers of the year. And again, you can see here that these have been uh, shortlisted in different. So we have the likes of the pharmacies, we have a shoe shop, we have a jewellers, um, and we also have some skin formulas. Yes. And these are the bread and butter as well of our industries that are on our towns and stuff like that. So again, a very important one. And they are also being sponsored then by a new uh, sponsor this year, which is IDAP, uh, sorry, IDPAA Limited. So it's nice to have that one on board. When we look to the future then, of course, innovation and design all vitally important. Indeed, indeed. And no one better than MSD, I suppose, to be able to lead us yeah. in that innovation. And they've sponsored the board. They've done that as well for a number of years. And I think, you know, given that we are highly innovative here in Tipperary in terms of the, the inventions that we have come up with, and sometimes I think we're not, we don't, I suppose, shout about the innovations mm. that we have developed and how we, how we pass that on, be it here in Ireland or abroad. So again, we would have Teradep, that are based in Clonmel, who's been shortlisted. Now we have Unitech IT Solutions, Cantwell Electrical Engineering, and we also have uh, Buttermere Engineering as well, which again, Buttermere's would have also been the previous winner with us as well over yes. the years. So again, it's great to see them coming back in to say they're hungry and they want to win it every year, uh, which is great. Now, speaking of hunger, agri and food proje- uh, producers <laughs> as well. I mean, you know, we're so good. At the risk of tapping ourselves on the back, we're so good at this, aren't we? We are. Yeah. I mean, we produce some phenomenal amounts of products here. Yeah. Uh, we export as well, as you know, in the Chamber. We, we would look after a lot of the exports. Again, an area that I know that the, the government wants us to be able to invest heavily in terms of our products. But AIB, again, are always heavily involved in this particular category with us. They've sponsored it for a number of years. So, again, it's great to be able to look back at the likes of uh, the Arkson and Clock Jordan Community Farm that have been shortlisted here. You have the Golden Vale Mushrooms um, that we have. And we also have Revisi, which are based here in Clonmel as well. And again, small people, but yes. 
the contribution is just phenomenal and should be recognised with them, I think, definitely. I know as a chamber, you have to look to uh, the future and uh, the notion of emerging businesses as well. That really needs to be acknowledged, doesn't it? No, it does. It does. And again, it's one of the backbones. We have so much backbones when we look at where our businesses are going and where we can invest in them. And and again, Boston Scientific, I think, obviously lead us with that as well. And they have sponsored this award for us this year. Um, And again, you can see that we have like Council Nuss Recruitment, which again is a small business it has huge potential and where it's going to drive us into. We have the Electric Ireland Super Homes, which again is going to be growing and invested in heavily, I think, in the future. We have Scantec Engineering as well, which are doing phenomenal work, um, you know, here in Clamel. And we also have, um, again, some Pilates teachers as well. So again, a variety there, which we can see the potential in, which is great. Now, of course, you'll have the much sought-after presidential award on the night uh, as well. But, of course, uh, that will only be revealed on on the night, uh, Michelle. Indeed. And, um, Sufran, yourself are going to be seeing it for us on the night. Looking forward to it. um, Unfortunately, I can't even disclose that information with yourself. But our presidential award this year is going to be sponsored by Pfizer, which, again, is a new sponsor to the Business Awards. And they're excited about it as well. But this award is always chosen by our president um, so this year our president is Paul Bergen and I think it's it's grown lots of attraction over the years we've had some phenomenal people receive this award last year we had Pat Short previous to that with Sister Eileen which mm-hmm. is the founder of our Shiree um, and again I think it's just recognising the people that contribute to Brary um, so if you want to know who's going to win that award obviously <laughs> It's, it's to be there in the night. And and you must be there. By the way, tickets are on sale now, are they not? They are, they are. And they're, they're selling out very, very quickly at the moment, which is great. So they can be purchased on our lawn, on our website, Um And you can go on there and get your tickets. Uh, what I would say to people as well, Fran, is that, you know, even if you haven't been shortlisted, you know, this is the biggest networking event of For the sure. year within Tipperary. You will have... The decision makers, you will have the connections all in the room at one time. We are also delighted to have Minister Simon Coveney, um, who's going to attend the event as well, so that we can showcase what Tipperary has. Um, and again, it's, it's just a great opportunity. It's on the 24th of November, so you know, if you're planning even your Christmas nights out or anything like that, yes. bring the team along and celebrate. And it's a, look, everybody loves getting dressed up, and, and why not? It's a black tie event, and it's going to be the event of the year. Very good indeed. Well, we're all looking forward to it, Michelle. And uh, thank you for that uh, list. And uh, congratulations to everybody, because as you said yourself, Michelle, getting on the list in itself is just fantastic, isn't it? It is indeed. And the list is available on our website as well. Um, there's a lot of social media activity that's going on now at the moment. We've, we've sent out some certificates. And uh, again, you know, I think huge congratulations to everybody that entered. And it's not easy to do it, but a huge congratulations to everybody from us. All right, Michelle, thanks indeed. Looking forward to talking to you over the next uh, few days as well. That is Michelle Aylward uh, speaking to us there. And Michelle, of course, the CEO of Tipperary uh, Chamber. And uh, she brings us there the shortlist for the Tipperary Chamber Awards. We'll take a break back in just a moment. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip today on 1-800-938-007. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Well, the founders of Specsavers have honoured a Tipperary hearing aid dispenser. Brian Barr, a hearing aid dispenser at Specsavers in Clonmel, has received a medal in recognition of his outstanding customer care by Doug and Dame Mary Perkins. And I'm glad to say that uh, Brian joins me online, online even. Good morning to you, Brian. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. And many congratulations uh, to you on this. Um, how were you nominated? How did that work, Brian? Uh, so, the, yeah, the nomination kind of came out of a left field a little bit. Um, so um, my director and uh, another colleague um, put me up for the nomination and they kind of say why you're nominated. And I was only kind of told afterwards uh, the process that's involved. So your your name and your 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 store is blocked out and it's put into your why they nominated you and that's mm. put before a panel and then the panel would have a read through that and see okay well I think they had 150 people that were nominated for it and then your shortlist is the whole way up along until you're actually until they pick the story that they were kind of very happy with and um, that's kind of how the process of it and then you kind of get the call then afterwards to let you know and, the outcome of it. And as I say, many congratulations to you because seemingly your colleagues uh, put you forward because of your, your empathy and, and the compassion you showed to the people who come into you, Brian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, and I, I, I'm very grateful for it, um, to be honest with you. But um, look, we, we have a great team uh, working with us as well, which is great mm. um, to be involved with. And And tell me a bit about hearing loss and how... Devastating, I suppose, that can be to people if they discover that they're on a pathway to particularly profound hearing loss, uh, Brian. Um, is that why you have so much empathy for them? Because it can be so distressing, I suppose. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's isolating for them as well. Um, you would see that a lot in the clinic where you would have people that would be in that would have the loss and then you'd find that they would be, talk, would be filling you in about how it's kind of their loss is affecting them. And you'd soon find out that they're actually uh, avoiding going to um, busy environments because they would struggle to hear in, in that situation. And then they kind of would say that they stay at home a little bit more and you kind of, their life is basically put on hold for it. And you can see the frustration in them uh, when they come into you. Um, as they're, they're kind of, they're not able to go out to family events. Well, not able to go out, but they would go out to family events, but they wouldn't be able to catch that conversation right, maybe asking people to repeat themselves and then they find that they're being uh, kind of their loss is frustrating them quite a lot yeah, my father was profoundly deaf uh, all of his well for most of his life anyway and yeah. so I know how you can be a little bit marginalized when you can't hear properly and particularly when you're in company and you're you're struggling to keep up I suppose yeah you are very much so and then you start to make the the, the few silly mistakes of answering the question incorrectly or yes, saying yes to something you should be yeah. saying no to and um, you will see that but when you kind of go through the processes with them and then you can see the difference that um, the hearing aids make for them that's kind of where where you really get the satisfaction out of the job is kind of when you're saying well look you know what now this, this is really working and when they come back in and tell you the improvement that they've made on their lives it, that's kind of where it's 
it really stands out. We always associate hearing loss with older people, uh, Brian, but I guess some younger people are suffering as well. Yes, very much so. So I think kind of since kind of after COVID, people have started to kind of look after themselves a little bit better and kind of are getting these health checks done a lot sooner. Um, and we would have a lot of, of young people from their 20s right up um, that would have a hearing loss that w- we would have uh, fitted them with hearing aids. Mm. Um, and there could be a number of reasons for that. But it's, it's, it's unfortunately, it's affecting all ages. Yeah, and, and the reasons that you're alluding to there, I mean, would they include, the, because, I mean, it seems to be the case now that most of the young people I see, they have in-ear um, phones and, and, and that's what they're listening to music on and uh, making phone calls on. Is that playing into this in, in some way? Well, I don't know what it would be playing into it. It, it. it certainly won't help depending on how, how loud you're listening to it for, mm. uh, how long for, should I say. Um, but, like, it, these things, it, it, they're, they're relatively new, the, the wireless headphones, so it's going to be interesting, but you can be sure that they're not going to really help us. I suppose. That's, what what sort of technology is out there now? The technology that that, that we have at the moment is, is unbelievable. Our, um, the hearing aids have come on a long way. Um, and unfortunately, people still have the idea of the hearing aids being big and bulky mm, and yeah. uh, forever whistling. Mm. Um, I suppose that, that's kind of the way anyone would look at a hearing aid. But the technology has come on now so much that they are now smaller. They're in the year ones, depending on the loss. Um, they have a lot of noise cancellation uh, software on the hearing aids as well, which can damper down that background noise and focus more in on speech. Um, and that's great for people because even with hearing aids, background noise can still pose some sort of an issue. Mm. Um, but when you have the technology there to, to cancel out as much of that as possible, um, it's absolutely fantastic. And we have a lot of technology now um, that we are using to kind of help us fit a hearing aid that little bit better to give it that more natural feel than that artificial sound. It's very good. And I know from a friend of mine, they can link into your phone now. So, yeah, so yeah, I, I yeah, think that's yeah. fantastic. So your phone gets yeah, direct it, it, to your hearing aid. Yeah, it is great. So so with uh, a selected few hearing aids, and depend on the technology, a lot of it is dependent on the technology of the phone as well. Mm. Um, but yes, your your calls can be streamed to it, the, the music can be streamed to it as well. And you have a little bit more control over how the hearing aids are performing themselves. So you can adjust the volume from your phone. You can direct the microphones on the hearing aids as well. So if you were in, we'll say, a restaurant and there was a lot of clattering going on behind you, you could actually turn off the mics that are behind and kind of wow. more face forward, wow. which, which is great, which is great. And a lot of people, especially the younger people, um, they would use that an awful lot. Um, in those situations and it kind of helps them kind of stay in that conversation helps them kind of adapt to that environment that they're in And have you seen it like turn people's lives around? I mean in terms of their isolation that they might be going through because of hearing loss, have you seen them turn their lives around? Because yeah, like you would, yeah, you, you would see it in them like especially um, after the second week we would always bring someone back just to see how they're getting on with them, see what mm. adjustments might need to be made to the hearing aids and um they will come in and they will tell you, God, I heard the indicators in my car for the first time in God knows how long, or I heard the ticking of the clock. And there are small little things, but there are people out there um, who would have avoided going out um, on nights out with their friends or colleagues and purely because of the loss. And then once they kind of get used to the hearing aids and they come, uh, 
then they would say, well, do you know what, we'll try a night out. And then all of a sudden, their social life is back, they can go to places again, and they're not as restricted due to their loss, which is which is great to see. Like, it's, it, it, it's brilliant. Some of what you're saying is uh, bringing me back so so many memories. The whist- I remember the whistling of my father's uh, hearing aid. He used to drive us all absolutely yeah. nuts. But funnily enough, he, he, he found it very, very difficult to go into a church, for example, with the reverberation, the natural reverb that would be in a church. And But you're saying the technology has come so far now that... You know, you're able to but, deal with that, for instance. Yeah, the technology is there, and it's kind of it's all about how you will kind of fit the the, the person on the day to make sure that look, there is no twisting, there is no feedback coming from the hearing aids. All this would be checked before they'd ever leave the room, um, and then we will kind of, um, how would you say it? We will go through all that, but it's it's when they kind of go out along, then that's where they see the difference. Right, isn't isn't it a marvelous? So, in ter- in terms of how you determine the loss of hearing, then I presume that end of the technology has come a long way too. Yes, yes, it it has. Yeah, they're like like it's it's the sound booth is kind of what we will kind of really pride ourselves on, and it's it's getting them into that and and testing them and making sure then that all the correct frequencies are are checked the whole way along. Um, and look, it it's very dependent on the patient as well. You you have to make sure that they're responding to the right tone at the right time and all that sort of thing. So it's it's an interesting process. Mm, isn't it just? Did you find that the COVID, because COVID closed things down so much, that did you have a backlog of people then wanting you know, some, some help with yes, their hearing? We, yeah, we, we, we had a backlog. That was a, that was a difficult time for us all uh, yeah. during them because, um, again, a lot of our clientele were, were really told to stay at home don't really come out unless it's necessary um, and I suppose that's kind of where we kind of put into place um, our domiciliary call out where we would actually call out to people especially people who needed adjustments yes. or just needed that little bit of extra help because a lot of our technology is wireless so we, we could do that like I, I remember like we could do that from maybe outside the home they could be inside once we had a general idea we could actually make the adjustments through the laptop mm. uh, on the hearing aid for them which, which is great. Mary was on to say that Brian is great at listening to us much older dears. <laughs> I presume listening people, I mean, that's that's why you won the award, for God's sake, you know, that you, well, you look, listen to people. A lot of it is like, it's, 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 there's no point trying to make adjustments on what we think we have to understand mm. what needs to be made. And we, it is down to listening. Like, at the end of the day, we have to go by what we're told. You know, like, that, that's the, like, the fitting appointment is important, but in my mind, it's, it's the second appointment is probably the most important appointment. That's where you really try and get everything as right as you can. Very good. Um, indeed. And where where do you go to pick up the medal? By the way, will there be a ceremony, or how does that? So, yeah, it was on um, two weeks ago over in uh, Birmingham. All right. Very um, good. So so there was um, there was it, it's packets on every year, and uh, we went over to that and. Um, we went and we, we were we were given the medal over there. All right. Well, look once again, Brian. Many many congratulations to you. And you're based at Specsavers in Atlanta. We were talking about Marketplace early on, so you're just around the corner there from from Marketplace. Yeah. So we're we're, we're based in Clonmel, and we've uh, we're part of other stores in Turles, uh, Portleash, and in Carlow. All right. Well, we wish you the very yeah. best and to your team there as well. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Thank you very Good much. Morning to you, Brian. Bye-bye, bye, bye, Brian Marr there. Uh, recognised for outstanding customer care to the local community. And he's part of Specsavers in Mill. Lovely to hear from my 
my good friend Catherine Ryan and she's telling us that uh, there is a coffee morning on this coming Sunday at Templary Church in Banshire for South Tipperary Hospice and uh, Catherine wants to know, will, you, will I ask uh, Johnny Luby to mention it as well? I certainly, I certainly will. I'm not sure will that help, Catherine, but we'll do our very best. So that's this coming Sunday anyway, Templary Church in Abasha. There's a coffee morning there and it's all in aid of Tipperary Hospice, South Tipperary Hospice even. News and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Install Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat. Uh, I was speaking to Councillor Michael Murphy in uh, the last hour about the possibility of a compulsory purchase order. Um, being a solution to a marketplace and the dereliction there. One of our listeners on to say, council issuing a CPO on a derelict property uh, like this is only good news if they have long-term use for it. Tipperary County Council are guilty as any property owner when it comes to dereliction of property. For example, the hostel and courthouse and Bridewell in a Tipperary town. And I'm sure there's many properties in other towns too, says one of our listeners. Well, in fairness, Michael did come up with some uh, ideas for the uh, site, the possibility of a retirement uh, village, for example. Uh, Councillor Anne-Marie Ryan was on to say that a compulsory sale order is a better mechanism and this is where the onus is on the owner to sell the site if they have left it vacant for over uh, two years and Anne-Marie believes that a CPO is very cumbersome and wondering would Fine Gael support the introduction of a CSO as a national policy? So there you go, that's on in from Councillor Anne-Marie Ryan, who's in the Tipperary Town. Maybe that's something we can uh, tease out in uh, other programming. But right now, it's time to uh, say hello online to uh, uh, Muriel Cuddy, uh, who is CEO, of course, of Marito 8020, the clinic in Clanmel. Muriel, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you today? I'm very well indeed, and good to talk to you, Muriel. You're going to talk to us about weight loss and maybe losing weight quickly. Now, I know that's not ideal, but it can be necessary in some cases, can it not? Yeah, um, it's funny. So I'm getting a lot of this lately, and of course, this is September, um, Fran. So, like I said, September is often the January reset. So, a lot of people have put on weight over the summer. So, like a stone weight or stone and a half weight or whatever. And they panic. And I actually had one girl that came to me early August. So we're nearly into the end of September now. But she had six weeks um, to get to it. She had a wedding, a family wedding, close family wedding. She bought her outfit last January, February. Mm-hmm. And had just over a stone weight on. And of course, the outfit wouldn't fit. She spent a small fortune on it. And she said to me, let's call her Tracy. So Tracy said to me, Muriel, I've got to lose a stone in a month. Oof. I have That's my time scale or whatever. Uh, what can I do? So this frightens me a little, as in, like, it's a large amount of weight. Mm. And you don't want to put somebody into the wrong mindset, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because, you know, I always talk about, like, slow and steady and do it right, etc. And, um, you know, and we sat down and I said, right, it's possible, but there's steps that you'll have to follow with me to see whether we can do it or not. Mm. Okay. 
So yes, she was in a space that this has to be done. So of course, I'm going to do anything um, that I have to do to do it. So she lost £13.5 rent. Um, in the space of 33 days. So just, right? under, so just slightly under a stone, wow. Yeah, half a pound under the stone, yeah. But for me, it wasn't just losing weight. It was actually then, can we maintain this now? Yeah. So can this stay off? So there was five steps involved, right? And I'm just going to talk you through the five steps and how we actually done it and how it was possible to do it, right? Okay. Yeah. And this is, for me, it's for life. So yes, to lose the stone, but it's really important to get across to people. You've got to maintain this. So this mm. is not a yo-yo thing, that it's a quick fix or whatever. So number one, we had to work on a metabolism. So we had to switch her metabolism on. It, obvious, it was obvious to me it wasn't working. Mm. Her gut health wasn't where it needed to be. So that was number one. I had to literally sit down, go through her diet and eliminate any chemicals, any preservatives, any sugar and, of course, stress. So anything at all that would have affected her gut microbiome, we had to sit down and work on. So even the stress coming up to the wedding, mm. we had to put parameters in place to say, right, at this time you need to walk. At this time you need to take a break. So any um, triggers for her that were there during the day, we had to work on them and say, right, okay, what are we going to do about that and what are we going to do about this? Yes. Right? So we put that program in place, first of all. Then we introduced like a really clean, simple um, diet. And when I say macronutrients, I'm talking about carbohydrates, proteins and fats. But we cleaned it up and we introduced 15 foods. So that was just really simple, as in porridge, wheat bricks, brown bread, um, over-the-ground veg, loads and loads of fruit, really good fruit, um, essential fat and protein. I can talk to you about that in a second. You can ask me whatever questions. Um, and then the other thing was, if you don't do it right, and this is really important for anyone listening, right? Mm. Um, if you don't do it right, you can change your appetite gut hormones for up to a year, okay? So if you decide to go on a yo-yo diet and you're just going to do like um, a complete fast, are you going to go off one type of food? Are you going to live on one type of food? You change your appetite hormones that the regain of weight will happen or you'll have increased appetite afterwards. So you know you lose weight and you lose like a stone, a stone and a half. And next thing you lose the stone and a half becomes two stone back on. Yeah, sure. The yeah. brain, like the leptin and grenadine hormones in your brain, will literally fight with you for you to regain that weight and actually regain more so it's back to a safer place because it's in a happy place when the weight is there because it's getting its dopamine, et cetera, and its feel-good hormone hit, and that's what it wants. So for the gut, that's number one when you're trying to lose weight. Mm. Number two then is, especially for women, you have to check the hormone health, because you'll have things like water retention, fluid retention, et cetera. So we do that by doing the blood profile. So we just make sure that everything is where it needs to be. The third piece then is the body analysis. You're basically basal metabolic rates, the pieces you hate is in the machine, and doing your age and everything. Mm. That piece has to happen, right? Now, you can do this simply at home, but you have to understand the control of your energy balance and how not to regain the weight. Yes. So that's really important. So where is your BMR? If you wanted to do it at home, so your basal metabolic rate is how many calories you can eat every day at rest without even getting out of, out of bed. So there's a certain amount of body needs just to be alive, right? So mm. for some people, that can be 1,300 calories. For other people, that can be like 16 or 17. To do it simply at home, if um, you have a pen, you're simply multiplying your body weight in pounds by 12 to 15. So say if you have, um, um, uh, what would you say, a small body type, mm. a low level of muscle, um, you don't have um, a very active life, you're sedentary, you know, you don't do a lot of exercise, whatever, you're multiplying your body weight by 12. But then if you are more active or you're a man or you're bigger, you can go up to about 15. So that'll give your basal, your basic calories which would be 1,600 or 1,800 a day. So right. then you know, and the very basic is a calorie in a calorie in versus a calorie out. 
All calories are not the same, but they are units of energy. So if we're taking in too many units of energy, we are going to gain weight. So to know that figure is very handy, even though we don't focus on it, right? Mm. And then the next piece then is, I suppose, the um, education on the psychology side, the physiology side and the nutrition piece. That has to happen, and that happened with her every single day. So that was literally like, what's happening? How do you feel? What's you eating? What's in it? Um, and, and it was literally, we worked literally from the protein breakfast on the satiety side. So what do you eat at breakfast time that's going to satiate your appetite right through until lunchtime? Why would you have a protein-rich breakfast? So if, if you don't know what protein is, guys, it's literally you're eating eggs, um, you're eating anything that's like um, dairy, fish, meat, things like that at breakfast mm. time. Because that fills you up for longer. So if you put that along with like essential fat, which are your good fats, that drives down inflammation in the body. And the two together, that's a superfood breakfast. Um, eggs and avocado on brown bread. That's a super breakfast. Oh, you can have, have the brown bread with that. Yes, yeah, absolutely, okay. absolutely. Right. And that's fibre. So, okay. like, you need fibre for safety as well. Mm. So if you have three foods like that for breakfast, Fran, so even if you have, like, oats or wheat bricks, mm. um, you have your milk, berries, and then you put your seeds on as your essential fat piece. Again, that's a double safety breakfast, if not a triple, as in you, the essential fat, you have the protein piece, and you have the um, fibre piece, which are the oats. And all three not only help you keep fill, stay full for longer, but they also maintain muscle mass. So if I have somebody in here and they're losing body fat, they can't lose muscle mass with it. They have to maintain that because that's your body structure. Yes. So that's the lovely shape that's underneath, you know, the bone, the muscle. And if that starts depleting while you're losing weight, it's a complete negative effect and your um, metabolism is actually going to go down that you can eat less. So we have to keep that where it's at, right? Mm-hmm. So that breakfast should keep you full until lunchtime, mm. okay? You need to stay full until lunchtime and we don't need the drip, drip feed effect. And I've, how many times have I said that? That you don't need to stay eating food all day long. So, like, even when you're on, on radio here, you can't do anything the three hours time. You can't eat or whatever. Mm-hmm. You don't think about food. And that's really good. When you're off radio, I don't know whether you think about it more, that, you know, it's in your head or the sugar cravings are there or whatever, because your mind isn't focused. That's the focus that people need to get, as in, I'm busy. My gut has to rest, reset, restore. There are three words, and I'd write them up across something, that you're looking at it all the time. Once you eat your breakfast, give it a chance to rest. Mm. Give it a chance to reset. Give it a chance to use what you've put into it. And then you can restore it again. So the next meal then is your lunch. So it has has been given it three or four hours and it's delighted. And it's gone on. And then your next meal is your evening meal. And then if you want to have something at night time, yes, you can. So she followed these steps. And she had a breakfast early morning. She didn't have anything at lunchtime. She had a lunch. She didn't have anything at the evening time. And when she sat down at night, she was allowed to have her dark chocolate and her nuts or whatever. So that was her, her last piece. She mm. had to drink loads of water. So your water piece is just massive because water increases your um, RES, which is your resting energy expenditure. So that increases your your um, calorie burn by up to 30% within 10 minutes of drinking it. So like, that's massive, you know. So that's just by drinking water. You can increase that by 30%. So she had to have her two litres of water every day. And that I didn't allow it to come from green tea or I didn't allow it to come from coffee or anything else. It had to just be water. water. Yes. Just plain water. No alcohol. So there was no alcohol for a month. Okay. Right. So, so your your that, usual notion of eighty twenty, where you can have your weekends to have a little. You, this was rather strict because of what she wanted to do. Yes. I guess Muriel yes. was that yes. it? Yeah. yeah. In in some instances, um, if somebody comes in and there's an intolerance issue, and I can actually see their body is really breaking down because of the food within the body or a few foods that are really affecting them, then the eighty twenty has to go out the window. Mm. And I'm like, this has to be a hundred percent. And if you if you're able to buy into it. 
we'll go on, go ahead with it right this minute. But if you're not, we'll leave it be until you are. Because mm. 100% is 100%. Um, for, for Tracy, it was 100%. If you can't buy into it for the total 100% of the month, it's not going to work. You know, you mm. might get two or three pounds or whatever. You'll get the usual pound and a half a week. But if you can buy into it and we can do it really well and I can work with you on this, that we can maintain it. Because for me, it can't be a stone off now and a stone back on. In a month's time. Of course, yeah. To be shown off How did she buy into it? I mean, did she immediately take to this or was it a struggle for her, Muriel? Um, I suppose um, the hour that we'd done the first hour, I had to do a second hour within, say, 48 hours, there or thereabouts. Because to actually take in the amount of information that's there, there's a yes. lot of information, yeah. So by the time she had gone away and done her first, done her shop, got her bits together, whatever, and got her mindset right. She was back to me then with a list of questions. So the second hour was literally, so the first hour we had to do blood profile and that kind of thing mm. and body analysis and everything. And, and at the second time, it was her questions. So it was more instead of me um, interviewing her, it was mm. her interviewing me. Why am I doing this? What, what, what am I doing next? How does this work? And it was the education piece and the support after that is in. She had my number and she took pictures of things and said, listen, is this okay? And we were ruling out different um, additives and that and things. And I suppose it was the simplified piece as well, Fran, as in there was only 15 foods there or thereabouts um, that were going to be eaten for the yes. month. So it was only just 15 really good foods. Now, she'd message, she messaged and said, Muriel, am I out of an apple? Or very simple stuff, you know, that I didn't have on the list already. And I was like, of course you can have an apple, yeah. But uh, it was basically 15 good foods, Fran, which made it very easy. You spoke to us there about breakfast. Give us an idea about lunch then, for example. Yeah. Just, just, just some, So lunch at this yeah. time of the year for me would be, it was all the salads up till all the rain and misery mm. and yeah. cold that we got this week. Now we're going on to soups, things like that. So any kind of a really good soup. And there's loads of them out there if you're not able to make your own. Mm. You know, like I could reel off a plethora of names, but I'm not going to. But mm. most supermarkets even have a really good own brand range. Yeah. So if you look at them, and if the first ingredient is something like water, and then you see like carrots, parsnips, onions, whatever, you know that's a decent soup. Most of the tomato soups are fairly okay if they don't have any added sugars. Most of the minestrones. There's a lot of good soups there. There's bone broth. There's different things there and mm. that are brilliant. So this is the time of year for soup, and that's two minutes like to, to really eat. Right. The other thing that I do at this time of year is your flask is back out again. So whatever you're doing for dinner the night before, I've said that a million times. So things like stir fries. Anything like that inside in the flask and brings with you. That's like a lunch. You remember years ago, our dinner was at dinner time. Mm. And I suppose at supper time. Yes. If you can have a dinner at dinner time, you're doing really well. So if you're in that position that you can actually eat your potatoes, veg and meat, or even if it's rice or whatever it is, and you can have that at lunchtime, you've all day to burn that off. And then in the evening time, you can have something smaller. Mm. In the evening time, then you're talking about like scrambled egg or Maybe it's your soup then or whatever. Or, you know, I often say to somebody in the evening, if you don't have time or you're just tired, something like your wheat bix of porridge yes. is really good, you know. But for, for um, Tracy, we stuck to salads and soups. So we knew exactly what was in it. So our salad literally contained um, either chicken salmon, tuna, um, tin salmon, something along those lines that we had really good protein and essential fat. We cooked a chicken next version olive oil. And then we only added in four or five salads. So we gave her got a chance that it wasn't a huge amount of food or a huge variety of food, really, in one meal. So we had things like beetroot, uh, some form of lettuce, onion, um, um, eggs sometimes if she hadn't had it for breakfast, avocado if she hadn't had it for breakfast. So we had really good foods that stated her again until tea time. Mm. And she was allowed to have her bread. 
Now, sometimes we put in um, baby potatoes. Mm. They were just done the evening before in the air fire. Little Himalayan salt and black pepper. They were instead of the bread. So that was her carbohydrate piece that filled her. And she had enough in that then that she was actually happy until um, tea time. If she wanted something in between, she was allowed a handful of nuts, mm. like her walnuts or, you know, the bigger nuts and pistachio or something along those lines. But she never wanted them because she was having enough at lunchtime. And by the time she had four or five days done, Fran, she could actually feel inflammation was gone down herself. She said to me, my rings are fitting. Top up and I'm not hanging out over it anymore. She's like, I'm feeling better. And that's what I get from so many people. Like in the first five or six days, when the inflammation piece goes down, you start feeling so much better. You don't want to even think about going back to the bad stuff because you feel too good, regardless of the weight. And when you say feel, so emotionally in her head, she was feeling better as well. Is that? Oh, that she was feeling a million percent better. Yeah. Like the weight piece was a big thing in relation to the outfit and that. But like the feel side is in your brain. Like she had said to me, you know, I feel miserable. Mm. I can't concentrate. The brain fog piece is there. On and off headaches, things like that. And like I knew then her gut wasn't good anyway. But when that piece starts coming to that you start feeling, your mind starts feeling better. Mindset gets stronger then day by day because you're able to do it. Yes. So like the results piece then is the next, like we, we done weekly, she came in here for us to get the stats, etc. And I focus more on visceral fat and body fat and muscle mass than I do on weight because that's the driver for me. Mm. And the weight comes with it. But if you don't focus on a, on a number that, that's the weight figure, it doesn't actually go into somebody's head and it kind of comes off unbeknownst to them, if that makes sense. And I'm very yes. much don't focus on numbers because if you focus on numbers, that's, the, oh my God, weighing scales. Like I say to so many people that come in here, women especially, please put it into the bottom of the hot press under something you've never taken out in the last 15 years or take batteries out of it. Yes. Hate weighing scales because they drive people cracked. They, they literally set somebody up for the day in a good or bad mood. Of course, of course it does indeed. Can I, can I be very ungentlemanly and ask yes. you roughly what age Tracy is? Uh, 45. 45, okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. So like right, right in the middle kind of, yeah. if that makes sense. You know, and like this is something I suppose, for me, I haven't done something like this in such a small space of time um, and, and I was so adamant about getting it right that I can keep it going. And now we're like another four weeks in and she's actually down another four or five pounds or whatever, a little bit more since then um, because she's on the right track and because she feels so well. And, you know, I've done two uh, talks this week on nutrition because we're back into September, Fran. Mm. You know, you ask me all the time about the factors. What, why are we all heavy? Why, yes. like, there's so yeah. many, you know? And, like, mm. they say um, in Western Europe, an average man, so the same age actually as, as Tracy, 45-year-old male consumes 1.24 million calories yearly, right, in Western Europe. Mm. The average American 45-year-old male consumes 1.38 million calories a year, right? So that's about a tonne of food for an, an American a year, right? You're supposed to consume just over a million calories, 1.02 or something like that. Mm. So there's like 20 million calories too many in Western Europe. Wow. for the average man in, in, in middle-aged years or whatever being consumed. And like the 68% people classified as obese in America and we are flying along behind that. That's classified obese and that's not overweight. This is obese. Like they yeah. say obese, yeah. yeah. And they say it's one of the greatest problems facing the human race. That's like in every single piece of research that's coming out because of the knock-on effect on the obesity-related diseases, etc. So... We have to get a handle on it. But the 10 factors, so they've come up with 110 factors, right? Mm. But these are grouped into like eight categories. So what are the reasons? I suppose they're all the reasons that I've spoken about down through time, but they were what we've worked on with Tracy for the last month. So the first one, yes, we spoke about about organics, but food production is massive. 
my power food is being produced, what's in it, you know, what's being pumped into it or injected yeah. into it or whatever. The second piece is food consumption. So like our portion sizes are definitely too big. That's one of the things, you know, what's in it is one piece, but what's actually size and they're getting bigger and bigger. Like I've even seen like, even going to the chipper, like if you get your takeaway, mm. the bag isn't full up to the very top. People are looking in and saying like, what's a half bag chip? Oh, I'm not going back there again. So our eyes, we eat visually, definitely with our eyes, but our eyes are bigger than our belly a lot of the time. Because even when you get it, you don't eat it all, you know? You were uh, very you were very quick yeah. to say as well when you initially uh, met with uh, Tracy that alcohol was out completely. Yeah. Um, did yeah. she find that difficult? Was she fond of a, a glass every so often? Or? Yeah, she, um, two to three, if not four nights a week, she had a glass of wine. Right. A, a glass? glass. No, it was a, a, if not two. Okay, right. You know, um, stressed a lot. She's in, a, like, a very stressful job. Um, yeah. And children and the whole lot, that's all there, you know. But, um, yeah, so that was a big piece of it for us. Yes. That she wasn't going to drink at night. But we put the walk, et cetera, in. And we put mm. the parameters around that, like I said, that we had to find things to help her get over course, the different yeah. points of her day that were. And, you know, we think alcohol is a come down, Fran, but, mm. like, a glass of wine in the evening or two glasses of wine in the evening, the first one works, mm. but it only works for maybe half an hour. And then you need the second one. The second one doesn't really work to the same extent that the first one works. And then you go to bed. And when you're in bed, if you've had any level of alcohol at all, you will wake by 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, I know. You will have intermittent sleep overnight. Yes, it really, so really like, affects your sleep, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, totally, yeah. So, like, if you can actually you figure out the nights that you don't have alcohol and you actually monitor your sleep, etc., you will actually go into a much deeper sleep. Mm. And you will wake up refreshed. And that was one of the pieces she said to me as well. She had found she wasn't sleeping at all, like she was floating around the house at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Now she's actually sleeping again. So she's waking up at 5 o'clock or half 5, and she said she's waking up feeling like she's able to cope and able to face the day. Right. So, like so, so what started out as, uh, forgive me for saying so, as mm. a vanity project really is a change of lifestyle. Yeah, and I knew that. I knew yeah. when I sat across from her and what we were going to take on would be that. But like... It's that for everyone, Fran, but if the mindset isn't right, it's like an alcoholic and you've done all that piece over the last month or six weeks with so many. And, you know, the devastation any addiction causes in any family or whatever. But um, when a person has the mindset to change for whatever reason, it changes every aspect of their lifestyle. It just makes such a difference that you can come around to the right way to do things instead of doing things half right. When you're doing things half right, you're only functioning on half empty whichever way you want to look at it but you're not getting the full effect if that makes sense you know so when she was able to do it fully she even said to me like I'm definitely not going to drink at home again it's gone so when I'm going to have a drink now in the future I'm going to make sure that I go out with the girls or I do something nice for myself and I enjoy it it's actually some form of um, you know the social aspect uh, as well as the relaxation piece but I'm not going to use it at home anymore. I'll do something else instead. And that for me was win-win if we didn't do anything else. Yes, and how did she take to the exercising, for example, to the walking and stuff? Yeah, so um, that was different. So this is different for a lot of people, right? Mm. Um, she was already fittish and loved training or whatever, so would have done team sports ah, okay. going back through the years. So the exercise piece for her hadn't happened in the last couple of years because there was a succession of babies and all of that kind of thing. She was um, ready to get back into exercise and wanted to do the next level of it. So I was able to introduce in her world a little bit of hit work, as in we were able to do like uh, walk a pole, run a pole, uh, and then we put in even after two weeks like the sprint or whatever. Mm. So she was able to take it up to the next level 
Uh, for a lot of people, you can't do that. And for a lot of people, like, it's just walking and even walking uphill and just being slightly out of breath. And if you're doing that and you're slightly out of breath, that'll benefit you as much as her hit training would with her sprint because that's what it took to get her out of breath, if that makes sense. It does. But yeah, you have yeah. to do a walk, Fran, yes. or any form of exercise if you're slightly out of breath for a certain length of time because that means you're actually working your cardiovascular system properly. And, and you're pushing your, your whole, your whole yeah, metabolism. It's, it's very interesting, but I know that you would be at pains to point out, Muriel, that, you know, losing weight very, very quickly, unsupervised or without a proper plan is not the thing. Sure, it's not. In fact, you it's can't very, do it. very unhealthy you know, as well. Is it? Did you, did the piece I said there in the beginning, and, yeah. and listen to that piece, like, do it right or you will change the appetite gut hormones for up to a year. Yes. So you will change what's happening within your gut for up to a year, which means you will get your you will increase your appetite afterwards, and the regain of weight will be actually be more. So unless you do it right, that all the steps are in place, and the steps we put in place, like even if it's not a stone in a month, if it's six to eight pounds in a month, and um, you should this is these are the right steps. So I try and do it softly with people because we have to live a life and we're stressed yes. and all that piece is there, and it's very hard to go at it a hundred percent. But if you can do it at 100%, Fran, that's the right way to do it. Because you're cleaning up every single element of your life. If you're able to do that piece, for me, that's amazing. Like, yeah, that's a complete life change. Well, is it, wouldn't that be fantastic for, for, for people listening? I'm sure a lot of people out there are inspired by that story. Muriel, if people want to talk to you, um, how can they do that? Yes, it's uh, 052 or www.marito8020.com. All right, Muriel, great to talk to you as always. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Good morning to you. That's uh, Muriel Cuddy, and uh, Muriel is CEO of Marito 8020, the clinic in Clownmel, 1800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie And you're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Now the Drummoneer Literary Festival this year celebrates its 20th years. Is now, of course, the Drummoneer Nina Literary Festival. And once again, there's a packed schedule of events. And joining me now to tell us more is the chairperson and curator, Geraldine McNulty. Good morning to you, Geraldine. Good morning, Fran. Lovely to talk to you again. And lovely to talk. I can't believe it's that time of year again. Twenty years, of course, uh, Geraldine. It's been an incredible journey through those two decades, hasn't it? It certainly has. And I suppose when the festival started in Drummoneer 20 years ago, you had a hotel in Drummoneer. There was a... um, the pub and the yacht club and another venue there, which sadly aren't there anymore. And um, But there, it didn't stop the festival growing. And over the years, um, it has developed and become one of the highlights, I'm delighted to say, of the literary uh, scene in Ireland now. And we, um, I suppose we changed the name and included Nina in the name of the festival a few years ago because... A lot of the um, venues are around Nina and great support. We get great support from the businesses in the town. So it has broadened out uh, a lot in those 20 years. And we have an action-packed uh, programme mm. this year celebrating our 20th 
uh, anniversary. Will you give us some of the highlights? You're running, of course, between the 5th and the 8th of October. Some some of the highlights that we could look forward to, Geraldine? Right, well, um, there's something for everything, everyone really, Fran. I mean, the big um, event on uh, Thursday night is Emma Donoghue, of course, yes. um, uh, author of Room, should be very well known for that, was the uh, New York Times Best Book of the Year 2010. And just this week, she was nominated for the Atwood Gibson Writers uh, Trust Fiction Prize in Canada. Now, Emma lives in Canada, and we are just so lucky to have her in Nina because she's only doing one other event in Ireland before she heads off to the Cheltenham Literary Festival. So we're really um, delighted to have her to talk about her, her new book, um, uh, Learned by Heart, which mm-hmm. is, I suppose, basically a story of rebellious love and rebellious women. And just before that, we are opening the festival uh, with our local voices, very well-known and very um, uh, celebrated writers Mm -hmm. like Eleanor Hooker, who uh, curated the festival for many years. Eleanor is a well-known poet, and she's now a PhD student in the University of Limerick. And joining her then, we have poet Sean O'Connor, who's um, Sean is local here mm. to Sunina and he's well known for his haiku and haiban poetry. Yes. And haiku is a really uh, intricate form of poetry where you have 17 syllables to tell the poem. And then the haiban is when you introduce prose to it. And Sean's latest book is called A Patch of Earth. And it's the story of the year of grief after his father died. And he visits the grave every day out in Burgess. It's mm. beautifully written and composed, very sensitive, beautifully done. And then we have Siobhan McGowan, who has uh, really hit headlines with her two novels, um, The Trial of Ray and um, her most recent book, uh, The Graces. Um, both historical novels, uh, beautifully um, told and researched. And uh, Siobhan will be with us and they'll be joined by uh, singer-songwriter Colin Kenny, who will sing his own composition. And Colin actually has a song um, that Daniel O'Donnell is going to um, record on his forthcoming album. So it's all local talent. It's, it's great, isn't it? You have a writer in residence, of course, and your writer in residence will be featured as well. Yes, oh, very much so. We're so lucky to have um, Vona Grork, who is very well known as a poet. And Vona is actually a writer in medicine. She's coming to us from Cambridge. Uh, she's just started her residency in Cambridge um, in the last couple of weeks. And Vona is going to do a workshop, but she's also doing a re- what would be a really interesting event on the Friday night with uh, Kit Duval. Um, two, um, the women have both uh, written novels and um Poetry and Bona, uh, her most recent book was uh, she was on a fellowship to a university in New York and they gave her an office overlooking Central Park from nine to five and told her, There you go, now you can sit in there and write your poetry. Wow. And Bona, as Bona says herself, it's not really conducive to writing poetry, so she was fiddling her thumbs a bit and she thought, Well, I better do something or they'll send me home. So she researched her great-grandmother who had left Sligo after the famine and uh, gone to America. And uh, she didn't know a lot of factual information about her, but she reimagined her and she had conversations with her. And um, so she's written that memoir. And Kit Duval has also written a memoir. Um, Kit is from... Um, an Irish mother and Jamaican father and was born in Birmingham and grew up, um, you know, quite poor and um, <coughs> had a very difficult 
early life. Mm. <clears throat> and so the two of them link there with their connection with their past and their memoirs. You know, Kitsism shows a lot of discrimination and po- poverty. But it's also about, you know, people having to leave their homeland and always wanting to go back. And the pull of home is so strong. So that would be a fascinating interview with Won't the two indeed. ladies on Friday night. And Sadly, Geraldine, we, we, we don't have time to go through everything, but are there another mm. couple of uh, highlights that you want? Because, of course, you have an online presence that people can have a look at, but a couple of other highlights, possibly? Yeah, certainly do. Like, on Saturday evening, in the new uh, be- uh, venue in Nina, in the teepee, at the Abbey Court Hotel, a really lovely venue, mm. um, we have Ema Ryan and uh, Kieran Murphy, uh, in discussion with Joanna Reardon. And this is for all GAA p- uh, people yes. who are interested in uh, our sport because both um, Emer and uh, Kieran are steeped in the GAA and gives a great background into the, um, you know, the grassroots of everything. But Emer, uh, you know, Emer played hurling for um, Nigal and she also played camogie for Monegal and Tipperary and knows the sport well and talks about, I suppose, discrimination really in so mm. far as, you know, you play the same sport, but it's called a different name. Um, when you play with the boys, you get lots of attention. With the girls, it's not quite so um, such a high status mm. sport. And talks about competition and um, uh, just uh, looking at uh, questions around equality and free. Um, should be a very, very interesting discussion as well. Very interesting. Many, many more. Fun. I beg your pardon. Many more events, including, of course, you're, you're finishing with the great Francis Brennan. There, that that sounds like a very interesting one as well, Geraldine. Certainly is, and uh, I think this is a positive aging week. Next week, we'll have Francis talking on aging well in style. But we have a fabulous event on Sunday morning, which mm-hmm. will be just a really lovely way for people to relax and um, see something very beautiful and hear something very beautiful. In Ballycommon, um, Winston Atira Hall, we're showing the film The Kulakhyol, which is, um, it is a, a song cycle, uh, first of all, uh, based on lullabies, uh, based on two reports from the West Cork Gale Talk. And um, uh, the composer Fiona Kelleher uh, composes beautiful, uh, relaxing, meditative suite of music. And while you're listening to the music, you're watching this magnificent film, which was shot by um, Donal O. Uh, Kelleher um, from Cashel, as, as it turns out, Donal mm-hmm. is. And he shot this beautiful scene over West Cork. And there's a, an element of animation. There's a child in it, and she's dreaming. And she, so we're looking at the dream world of this child and listening to this beautiful, relaxing music. Just beautiful uh, event to come to on Sunday morning. Gorgeous, and directly yeah. afterwards, we'll have a chat on nature with Anya Murray, who is, um, people would know her from Echo Eye, and mm. she's uh, uh, great. And then we head down to Clonmere, and this is always a highlight for me. I love going out on the lake with... Teddy and Michelle Knight, and we sail out on the QE2. And we have a really interesting uh, interview there with Claire Walsh, who is um, a free diver mm. and held the Irish um, record for free diving. She can hold her breath, and not to be tried at home now, for five minutes and wow. 59 seconds. Wow. But it's a story not just of free diving, but how free diving saved her from um, depression, how she had a you know, very busy life with. You know, young girl, highly qualified, working all the hours and just succumbed to depression. But how, through exercise, 
through uh, sport, through this sport, she has come to... Is, um, is, isn't that a know, fasc- fascinating to story? Is there, a, will you give us the online source uh, that we can go to for, for more information, Geraldine? Yes, but booking uh, is on uh, www.ninaarts.com or on our website, www.dnlf.ie or you can phone the Nina Arts Centre and uh, book uh, there. Now, a lot, a couple of events are sold out, Fran, so... Mm. I'd recommend people to get booking straight away and don't be disappointed. All right. Well, well done to everybody involved once again, Geraldine, and we'll keep reminding people about the wonderful events happening there. Thank you and good morning to you. That is the chairperson, curator of the Drummoneer Nina Literary Festival, Geraldine McNulty, speaking to us there. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. Time to speak about all things farming now. I'm glad to be joined on the line by Declan O'Brien, who's the reporter with the Irish Farmers Journal. Declan, good morning to you. Good morning, good morning. Good to talk to you today. Uh, The conversation around derogation continues on. Um, Interesting figure in the journal today. 37% of derogation farmers to cull their herd. Yeah, that is. Um, it's an interesting. Um, it's an interesting survey by by Aidan. No, it's 191 farmers, so it's 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 only dipping the toe there. But um, they, it will give a strong indication of what what's going to happen out there, and um, there'll be a bit of trepidation about that because if a flood of cows come on the market over the back end, it's not going to be good for the beef market. You know, already they're saying that. Um, that the market is a bit tougher for for plainer cows and for cows straight out of the um, straight out of the milking parlour. So, um, what's equally interesting is the thirty five percent of them are going to go after to lease more land, and we have a lease land market which is on fire anyway. Yes, um, prices were paid up on over five hundred um, an acre bill this spring. So, a lot of tillage lads will be worried about that stat. You know, yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. And um, when when they were asked, I know um, how much they were prepared to pay for land. What what did you make of those figures? Sixty percent of them well, saying they were prepared to pay between two hundred and three hundred an acre to to lease land. Yeah, I I I, I think that sixty percent of them said that they were willing to pay that. It's interesting. What were the other forty? 40 yeah, because, yeah. because that is the flow of the market. And maybe, you know, it depends on everybody's situation because if they're just looking for 10 extra acres to hold on to the 10 cows and they're milking 90 or 100 cows or they're milking maybe 150 cows, they can spread that cost over the whole of their operation. So that's why fellows are willing to pay the premium. So um, that is where where this this delegation will really impact is on the land market. And uh, it will be interesting to see um, yeah. how, what, what, how it 
how it how it plays out in the land market. Budget uh, 2024, Declan, just a couple of weeks away at this point, and uh, Charlie McConnell, I suppose, will have to make up his mind um, in terms of spend, but acres certainly has to be in there for funding, hasn't it? Yeah, and that's the real popular one, and it's the vote getter, you know, because you're going yeah. back to where, where every farmer loves reps. You know, reps is the old kind of nearly Nirvana there oh. in, the, in, the, in the rear view mill. They all got it was um they all saw it as a great income support. So but um it's interesting the figures that are in that because for every thousand that he brings into it, it's gonna cost thirty million over the lifetime of the of the scheme. Right. So, you know, if he wants to bring in five five thousand of them, then you're into figures that are really of consequence. You're talking about 150 million, you know. And if he wants to go, if he wants to go 10,000, he's gone 300 million. So, like, um, they are they are big big figures. Now, if it's a giveaway budget and they're looking to show up their rural support, there is no better way than acres. But there's other schemes that are also going to be in the offing. Um, Leo Varadka yesterday, when questioned by Carl Nolan, mm. didn't rule out um, a compensation scheme for the um, farmers with ash dieback. And there's a lot of men and women in Tipperary, Limerick, Kilkenny, Cork, with um, ash plantations that have been ravaged by ash dieback. And that will be a saucy figure too if there's a compensation package won't, won't, there. Won't it indeed. But of course the Minister has to buy back some credibility, I suppose, with, with the farmers as well, you know, for sure. On the forestry scheme particularly. Yeah. And the forestry scheme is going beyond farming because it's going right into climate change. And that, in in a way, that also comes in under derogation because, mm. you know, they, they were all talking about the climate change measures. Really, the derogation was the stick that the government had to beat the dairy sector with water quality. And if they if they can knock numbers through that avenue, then they will be on a winner. Or will they'll see themselves as being on a winner on the climate change. But whereas it's on a different side with the with the ash plantations, they need to get farmers on site to plant trees. Therefore, they may need to put their hand in their pocket and pay compensation for for what has been a disaster for a lot of for up to six thousand farmers who have ash plantation. It looks like as if the Irish beef prizes uh, they're, they're lagging behind certainly what's happening in Britain at the moment. Yeah, it's um, it's a recurring theme that has gone on ad infinitum, but um, it is a sizable gap there now, mm. four hundred euros ahead. You know, and if you're like as the story as the story says, if you're finishing twenty capital, mm. it means that you're eight thousand euros off the British price. Yeah, you know, so it's um, substantial money we're talking about. Yeah. It is, and like you're you're three hundred euros ahead off the Northern Irish price, so you're above in you're above in Lifford, and you're getting three hundred euros less than the man across the across the foil in Strabane, You know, and he's only. You could fire a stone across to him. You know, that's where it, it really hurts farmers, you know. And um, 
And all the cattle have ended up in the same market because the British buyers are now seeing they can get cheap Irish cattle. And that's seen in, in the exports have gone up 5.6%. You know, so um, it's, it's a really emotive story. And it, well, it's a really practical story as well. But I think that's maybe one of the one of the prices of Brexit, you know, that, that we are going in now at the bargain basement end of the British market. We are back to where we were in the um, late 60s. We'll be competing with the South Americans and the Australians for market share in Britain. And as I say, we'll be at the, at the bargain basement end of the market because the red tractor um, trademark that they have there will be taking all the quality prices. All right. Well, much to think about there, Declan. Thank you very much indeed. Declan O'Brien there, reporter with the Farmer's Journal. The journal, of course, is on your shelves right now. For this week's uh, Down Your Way, Eamon recorded some fantastic guests at the Ploughing Championships in Rathaniska last week. Here's a little taste of what you can expect. It's miserable, but we're here at the same time. Uh, Seamus, a great day is with us. Seamus, how are you doing? I'm going, thanks, Eamon. Uh, good to be here, down from all the way down from Dune or Limerick or you're a little bit over the border. Uh, that's right, yeah, Ula, to be exact. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, good. Um, it looked it's grand to be here, it's lovely to be asked in to do it. I mean, the lads working hard all week, get it ready, so we're ready to work now for the next three days. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Has the planning uh, gone into today? Well, there's your end of it because you're at the, we're here at the vintage end of it. Well, we would be, um, I suppose we'd be meeting with the ploughing people and they'd um, follow instructions from them mainly. They know what they're doing and, and they'll guide us. Like, they were very good to us, in fairness. We couldn't say a bad word about any man or crew uh, dealing with them here, you know. Yeah, we do this every year, which have for our exhibitors. Our, we have a, a lot of members in our club. So anyone that's passing by or anyone exhibits, they get the breakfast there first, you know, and they go up the field for the dinner afterwards. Oh, yeah, three days. It's three long days now because people can go home any time they like, but we're stuck at six, uh, six this evening, you know. Yeah, okay, so you can be here from six in the morning to six in the evening, so you're entitled to, to some bit to eat. Conditions are rather miserable out there, aren't they? They are. I'm not going to go out. I'll stay in the tent, I think, because it's very hard. But we're looking the field behind us where we're exhibiting is dry, and we have a walkway in front of us where there'll be people passing, so they can move them back to us anyway. But uh, today is to be bad. Tomorrow not too bad, and Thursday is the good day. So I suppose we normally do a parade. We'll wait till Thursday maybe to parade, you know. What's out there in your, in your exhibit line? Well, we've a good, we've um, everything from hand tools to uh, the old seats off the machinery to tractors. We've an iron man here besides our silver man. No, you for pike and hay, we're uh, trashing mill and we're going trashing if we get the weather and all that. So we've a good, a massive display of stuff. A lot of implements, a lot of, um, uh, uh, I suppose, uh, stationary engines here with, with machines running off them as well, you know. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, look at that. Uh, so you probably won't go to see the whole show at all at this stage, will you? No, I probably won't get down the field at all. To the main thing, I, could, I have to stay in my my box here. You for the meet, meet and greet at the door. Yeah, we'll t- see people coming in, tea and coffee. Any of the exhibitors, or any of our, our um, members want to call in, even during the day, there'll be tea and scone or tea and biscuit or something or just something there for them. Tell us about uh, the butter making in your life. Well, it's something we started, actually. Harry Carter down there, he started us at it a good few years ago. And uh, we were using all churns to make the, the butter, all vintage ones. And Harry made a couple of churns then, and we, we kicked our fight. But we do it around the place. I didn't tell us there lately for the Glenauti lads at, in the affair in the village, or affair in, at the Martin Tullis. But um, 
it's lovely to be able to do it. Anything we make from it, we usually give back to whoever we're doing it for. You know, we don't take anything out of it. But it is a, a really special exhibit when it is going. A fierce interest in it. A lot of people like to see how the butter was made. A lot of the older people come up and off love and say, We've, we did that when we were young and turned the churn before and tell you about their mothers and grandmothers doing making it, you know. Sure. So tell me, how is the butter made? Well, you just put... It's naturally enough from milk, I'm sure. Well, it's, it's actually cream. So you get the cream and if you mix cream long enough for you like it or not, it's going to turn into butter. You know, if the temperature is right, it'll turn into butter very fast. So you just stay churning it, and then you wash it and wash it maybe three or four times I with see water. people put water on it. Is that true? That's the washing, yeah, to get the old cream out of it. Because if you the cream left in it, the cream will go sour. And it can turn the butter sour. So, you know, so you wash out all the cream you can out of it. And you're left with the raw product. So, look at your, your, your beating it with bats and all that kind of stuff. That's just to dry it out. Yeah, because the water then then you have to get the water out of it after getting the cream out of it with the water. You have to get the water out. You beat the water out of it. Tell you what I know about this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's good. It's good fun. Yeah, we'll be. It's grand. Lovely social thing. You do get to talk to an awful lot of people. Like if you're there with a tractor, you don't meet that many people. And but making the butter, the amount of people you talk to in a day, and it's lovely to meet the people. You know, I can't say like in our club members, I've yet to meet someone to give out a bad. A bad word from anybody, you know. Yeah, yeah. Bad one. Yeah. <laughs> it's always a heritage. It's, it's, uh, it's fantastic heritage, really, to, 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 for people to come and see what you do and what, what you bring back to life again. Oh, yeah, it didn't even this, like with basket making here today as well as the butter. And we've other treats going on around the place. So, yeah, it's just lovely to, to be involved in that, but it's nice for people to see it. It's particularly nice for the older people because they did all this years ago. Like, they would have had a Dexter 40 years ago, or Ferguson 20, 50 years ago. And to walk in and see one, and they tell you their story then, and where they bought it, and where it went, and they'd love to have it back now, and this thing, but it's, it's grand for them, you know, it's, it's really nice, yeah. Look at that, look at the, uh, every success. Uh, Thanks, Simon. Nice to be here on, uh, down your way. Yeah, and, and I hope you have a nice day, and Thanks for everything. And I'm sure he did have a lovely day. That's our own Eamon O'Dwyer there from this week's Down Your Way programme. And, of course, you can hear it in its entirety on this coming Saturday morning at uh, just after news at 10. That's it for me, Ellie. Produce Stephen is on the way with the Time Tunnel on the Lunchtime Show. And I'll speak to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.